Welcome to episode 27 of a podcast of Rare Antiquities. Today we will once again rebel against the normalcy of the show and dive back into the mainstream as we review Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, the first anthology spin-off movie of the Star Wars franchise. The entire Rare Antiquities Rebel Scum Gang is back today. My name is Harry, and I'll be your host for today's show. Uh, I am Jeff, I'll be your co-host. I'm Andrew, I'm one of the guest stars. And last but not least, Nathan is here. Okay, so guys, welcome back. It's been a while since we've all been together. It's been a year since episode seven came out. So just very quickly, I don't want to spend too much time on it. Before we dive into the movie, can you guys give me any idea on what your feelings were or any preconceived notions you may have had with respect to just having Star Wars back into the fold over this past year? Did any excitement? Was it too much oversaturation? And what were your feelings or the lead up having uh, up to the first Star Wars spinoff? Yeah, I, I think I was, my excitement was uh, more muted than for, you know, the mainstream episodes. I really liked what we first saw. The first teaser for Rogue One was was very exciting for me. I loved the glimpses. I thought, you know, the more I saw of it, the more I started to like it. Just the, the look that they were putting together. And I was excited to see a different entry into uh, the Star Wars universe. You know, I wasn't really, really excited, but I was definitely looking forward to it. I was worried about a little bit of oversaturation, but I kind of got over that. I think that, you know, because they're doing sort of a different, uh, it's different, right? Like we're not just seeing the Luke Skywalker saga every year. It's so I think it sidesteps the uh, the saturation element there. So that's that's how I felt. I was certainly stoked for it. I think knowing that they're going to do these spinoff movies a while back, like I first I think I was a little hesitant. But then after The Force Awakens, which I enjoyed, but it was more of like what we have seen in the past kind of wanted to see something new i think um and that's where rogue one everything that i had heard about it and read about it just in terms of its style being a lot different from what we're used to with the trilogy movies i was really stoked for it and just having this expansion of a very small script of a new hope really bring about some understanding of how the death star plans came to be i was really really stoked for this so i was trying to mute my expectations just because you know i think with the force awakens it was great but then after a few watchings it's Certainly, I wanted to temper my expectations when I went into this uh, fully excited. Well, I was certainly looking forward to seeing something new and different in Star Wars. You know, I live in a world of nerd saturation. So the fact that when they announced that, you know, okay, we're going to get an anthology movie in between each of the main saga. I mean, that didn't bother me too much. And, you know, I, I was really looking forward to this movie, but I also felt like, you know, I didn't really have any stakes in it if it wasn't good. So I was cautiously optimistic in the lead up. Yeah, I, I don't know if that made me enjoy it more or less, but that's how I felt leading up to it. Okay. So did anyone know any spoilers going in? Because I, I, this is the, one of the first times I really didn't, you know, dive into too much spoilers here. And even though the plot was fairly predictable, because we knew what the conceptual idea of the plot was. How about yourself, Jeff? Any, any spoilers? No. Spoiler free, baby. Anyone else? Spoilers? All spoiler free? 
I think I knew about the Kyber crystals, and that was it. Nathan? I knew about the Kyber crystals. I knew Vader was going to make an appearance. Uh, just, I mean, they show a little bit of him in the trailers anyways. And then I had, I thought I'd read a spoiler, and, and it turned out to actually, I, I misinterpreted what the headline was. So I was kind of pleased uh, as to what turned out, but relatively spoiler-free other than those things. What was that spoiler? I'm just curious, Nathan, what, what, what that... I forget exactly what the headline was, but I I was under the impression that they had used uh, footage of a female X-wing pilot. I, I know they had female pilots, but I I don't think that they were the uh, the uh, actors that were cut from A New Hope, and that's what I thought that they were using. I think that's my understanding, anyways. I mean, we'll get into actually what they did do, I suppose. But I had known about this cut uh, female. X-wing or it might have been a Y-wing pilot actually, and uh, I thought that they had added that into the to the movie. Mm. Yeah, I, I knew. Uh, stupid me, it's like I was trying to gain reactions on the last day, like the day before it. I watched it because as stupid and I feel so bad. I didn't watch it opening night. This is the first time I didn't watch it uh, a Star Wars movie opening night since you know first one came out and like the original one. I'm online reading reactions and they drop a bomb about uh, Vader. What Vader did at the end of the movie and it's like ah uh, fuck. Oh man, for you, that's, that's a tough one for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, fuck. It's like, they said that's the Vader massacre scene at the end. It's like, oh fuck. It's like, you know, that kind of, kind of ruined the moment a little bit. So again, my fault. I just, again, you know, spoiler, you go to, you go read some non-spoiler reviews and some douchebag drops the spoilers. So it's like unintentionally or intentionally, but whatever, fucking asshole. But uh, it's my fault. Anyways, let's get right into the plot synopsis here. I'm going to do this really quick to save time, so hopefully I can get it done in less than 12 parsecs. So here goes. Meet Jen Erso, criminal, thief, scoundrel. You'll potentially like her. You see, her dad was kidnapped by the Empire to help build some kind of small moon-like station. They may call it Death Ball, or maybe Starkiller Base or something. Nah, they wouldn't call it something lame like that. Anyways, the Rebellion break Jin out of prison so she can help track down her dad and help find out information to destroy this thing, and she joins forces with a merry band of fighters. Kind of reminds me of the Dirty Dozen. Anyways, they go track down old daddy, they steal some blueprint plans of the station, and they fight off the Empire Stormtrooper by Stormtrooper as they escape. Shit happens, people die, and the plans make it back to the Rebellion. Oh, and we see some bad guy in a black mask and cape pop up here and there. He looks familiar? Wonder what his name is. The movie ends confusingly and abruptly as the plans are given to some princess. Why did the movie end there? I wonder what happens next, as I'd like to see that story. The end. So, wow, <laughs> That's the most economical plot synopsis we've ever done on the show. Well, you know, you know, I'm jokingly and in the cynicism aside, I shit you not, I wrote, and it's quite obvious. I thought I'd do a little experiment. But I wrote this plot synopsis for a podcast before I saw the film. <laughs> <laughs> And that's pretty bang on. Yeah, that's pretty pretty much what happened. Yeah, so that's just based off you know the trailers, which you know, and pretty close. Like you know, you don't don't know all the names of everybody, but uh, and all the little nitty gritty details. But that's pretty much exactly what happens. So let's. What I want to do, guys, is I want to start this movie off. Let's go, but I want to don't want to break it down a, a scene by exact scene. So let's start with just the opening of the story, how the movie opens, whether you want to talk about how it literally opens. And we'll go talk about the whole backstory of Jin when she was young. And you see Galen, her dad, uh, I mean, her dad and then her mom, what happens to her mom and the Empire coming to, you know, take Galen away because he was involved with uh, the Death Star. 
and you could talk about that entire thing and let's stop at the point where we finally get the Rogue One title card which is after this sequence. So it's like your little Bond sequence at the beginning, so to say. So, Jeff, let's start with you first. Go. I knew we weren't getting an opening crawl, so I was, I mean, probably the very first time in uh, that I've ever seen a movie where, where I was interested in to see what the heck they were going to do for the title card. Like, nobody, you know, you don't give a shit ever. So it was interesting to still see the long time ago words pop up, you know, in a familiar fashion and not go to the opening crawl. I didn't know that they were doing that. Uh, and yet it still felt very Star Wars when, you know, we get the opening star field and the camera pans. Mm-hmm. So kind of a, it was kind of neat. I, I uh, you know, we jumped right in. I thought that was good. The scenes with young Jin and, uh, and her father on that planet there. I like the look of it. Be- I mean, it really started to look like a new hope right out of the gate and and, to, and that's to the movie's credit they did a really good job with replicating the the look and feel of a new hope but at a you know obviously in a grander scale big budget and all of that so yeah you know it, it's a decent it was a good opening i thought it was a good opening and i liked the rogue one title card when it did pop up it, it felt very star wars appropriate and yet Obviously, its own its own thing. So they they think they did a good a good job here with uh, with the opening. Actually, the shot of the Imperial shuttle uh, it's the shots in the trailers as well, where we see like the rings in the in the sky as and you know we're kind of going over the beach there, uh, watching the Imperial shuttle come over. That was a really cool shot. Mm-hmm. How about seeing Krennic here for the first time? Because this is your introduction to I guess the lead villain of the movie. A good introduction. I really like that actor uh, whose name yeah. I, I can't remember. Ben Mendelsohn. Ben yeah, Mendelsohn. For, thank for, you. Yeah. For those who watch Bloodline on Netflix, um, he he he's superb in that in that show. Yeah, he really is superb on that show. Uh, underappreciated show, Bloodline, but he's really good. he was good. Is that that menace to him where he kind of has a kind face, but you could see you know he's not a he's not a good guy. And is a I like the costume design for this character throughout the film as well. So, uh, yeah, good good intro to the bad guy. How about the title card then it's, uh, itself then? Because we end on that and you just see Rogue One. Interestingly, they drop a Star Wars story, which I'm glad for the title card. Yeah. And I've, I I hate the fucking sub, uh, subtitle there of Star Wars story. It's just terrible. Yeah, I guess, I mean, because that's sort of the name they're giving the anthology series, right? Everything's going to be, you know, it's going to be Han Solo, a Star Wars story or whatever. Oh, fuck. I'm glad that that's not <laughs> in the title because it's not really a part of the title. But yeah, look at it. It was, like I said, it was still Star Wars appropriate, but its own thing. Hmm. Okay, Andrew, how about yourself? These opening scenes ending with the title card. I think Jeff certainly covered a lot of it. The the introduction of how well, first when they had a long time ago in a galaxy far away, far, far away, I was like, oh, this is pretty awesome. Then it cuts right to the movie, which after watching seven movies where you get the crawl, it's a little bit jarring, but at the same time, it's not something that detracts from the movie. And jumping right into it, for me, it's like I'm a huge fan of Mads Mikkelsen. So that opening sequence with him, with, uh, with Jin and his wife, I thought it was fantastic. And it certainly provided a little backstory. I don't think we wanted to dwell on it for too, too long. But no, I, I was really impressed with how they started off and basically set the tone for the rest of the movie. Hmm. All right. Excellent. Uh, Nathan, yourself? Yeah, I think it was a good a good initial setup. It, I did find it weird. I still find it weird that they don't have the opening crawl 
Yeah, because, you know, even the video games get a crawl. So I think, you know, we can have, you know, at least maybe a, a spinoff movie with the crawl. And, you know, and I did like that they dropped the, the a Star Wars story. And I actually don't know if they will continue doing that with the f- future movies, because I think that's more of a marketing thing. Casual fans are, are not really certain what to think of this movie and don't really know where its place is in the universe. But the overall look of the movie, I think it it, it I think it really established the uh, the grittiness for the rest of the movie. And, and it probably did a lot of things that I think Lucas would have wanted to do uh, if he had more money uh, for uh, for the original trilogy. And Blue Milk, they brought back the Blue Milk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Very. I love the interior design. It was very similar to Luke, you know, the Lars Homestead there. Uh, Galen's home. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, and, and that's probably because they're, you know, they're, they're space farmers. And so probably space farmers <laughs> just have a certain way to, you know, this is what the house is going to be like. It's going to be utilitarian. And although it's odd that he's farming just his family there on just a planet that does that they appear to be the only people on. Yeah, they have like probably like they have the universe has like these 3D printer uh, templates. It's like moisture farm. Okay, here you go. This is what your house is going to look like. The machinery is just going to build it as is. Oh, and we dropped off a couple of those old Jedi type clothing just to confuse everybody again. Here you go. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, it's kind of cool. But, you know, it's interesting how they went back to that, you know, because the mom was wearing that similar clothing that the uh, Lars family was. And everyone's yeah, and confused. I think it's like looks like Obi Wan's clothing, so it's like okay. Yeah, I think a lot of this too, and and I'm sure we'll all talk about it. Is just the the amount of fan service that went into this? There's little things like that that I think that oh yeah, okay, this is a this is going to be a nod to the Lars Homestead, and and all the clothes are going to be a nod to this, and you know, and blah 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 blah. You know, the blue milk, everything. I mean, it's it's I don't know. I mean, it, it feels very wink wink but at the same time i mean it, it kind of works because you know you buy it that you know that this is just how the universe this universe is mm-hmm. yeah okay so let's move on let's see oh actually i've given my, my opinion yeah i liked the opening here i love the location where they shot this and you could see it was very cold i remember reading an interview and now i can apply it to the scene because i think ben Mendelssohn was saying they had to do multiple takes because it was so windy and rainy that it was affecting the cameras and you could see it there. Like they looked like they were freezing their asses off. I don't know where they filmed it. Norway, Iceland looks somewhere like that. I love the shot of the shuttle coming in. It looks so realistic because it landed in that dirt outcropping. It was beautiful. And I loved, you know, Jin running away and hiding in the hole. And you get Forrest Whitaker's Saw Gerrera kind of like rescuing her at the end, which was kind of neat. And then you'll see more of him later. We'll talk more of him later. But overall, love the beginning. Love Krennic. You know, it was good intro. Now let's move on. So now we're going to see Jin as an adult and we're going to start to shift between a couple of different things here where you're seeing her life. She's in prison. And then you also see cuts with Cassian Andor, who is played by Diego Luna and Jin by Felicity Jones. And Cassian's on some other planet, you know, some Blade Runner-ish planet there. He's trying to find some information from Insider there and you have those scenes. So let's talk about uh, these two scenes where with Jin in prison, her escape after Cassian learns of some information there. And we get to also meet the droid of the movie K2SO. So Nathan, why don't you start with us uh, on this one here? I like the uh, the look of that. I, I looked it up earlier. I, th- I think it's like an in-canon uh, vehicle like for transporting prisoners. I, but I really, I, I did get a kick out of the Stormtrooper and just his 
like, oh, what's this now? And he's covered in mud. And again, like it's really kind of getting back to all the great things about episode four, just the greediness of it. But yeah, we're, I mean, we're just setting up the characters. We're establishing, you know, who they are. The fact that Cassian like murders that guy. Yeah. yeah. I, I found that jarring and I, I kind of understand like what they were going for because later they, you know, he kind of gives a bit of a, has a little bit of a speech about it and, you know, they are, Sometimes they just have to do bad things. Although I, I was confused as to why he did actually kill him. Was it just because he was like, uh, like, uh, I would, I would assume know, gonna... because like, you know, he realized that guy, if he's going to help that guy escape, he's going to get trapped or killed. And if he just escapes and lets this guy go, cause he had a trouble with his arm. And he would might get captured and then just, you know, if he's tortured, he might give up that information that uh, he just passed to Cassian. So he just ended up killing him well, for, for the rebellion. So, well, it's true. But I mean, the information he passed to him was about a Bodhi. Bodhi and yes. it didn't seem as though, you know, the Empire didn't know about this. He tortured does, but him but uh, he doesn't know that, right? I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I was, I was going to say, I, I almost wish we had I had more time to actually go see the movie again, because like throughout this whole movie, there's little things I'm like, I'm kind of confused about you know certain motivations or why are they doing this you know and after just one viewing i mean maybe i'm just i'm just not remembering it correctly but i did i think again like there's really setting up the the tone of this but the fact that he murders this man in order to escape so andrew how about yourself any comments on seeing Jin as an adult uh, her life in prison the breakout or cassian murdering this guy in cold blood so he can escape I think the Cassian murdering the guy in cold blood, it really, for me, that, that struck me. Like, I had read a few reviews that were spoiler-free, but hinted at the Rebellion not being painted in the perfect picture that they had been painted in sort of the, uh, the original trilogy, and I like that. Because it's like everyone was saying for this movie, like it's, it's a war movie uh, set in the Star Wars universe, and that really is the reality of war, is that like both sides commit atrocities, both sides do things that they are proud of, but they're trying to win the war, and for him to kill him, I think for... My perspective is that he knew that the guy would bog him down. He needed to escape because the guy had a bum leg or something. He was worried that probably the information that he had, whether that was a conversation or something else about the, the rebels, would just get to the, the Imperial. So him killing him, yeah, it was jarring, but it, it kind of made sense in this, that he, he needed to escape. But for me, I think the, the highlight of the opening sequence, which I, I have to clarify my earlier statement, that I had watched a few of the scenes that had been released on YouTube from uh, from Disney, and it was the one where K2SO basically clothesline, or not clothesline, choke slams Jin. Um, <laughs> And congratulates her for uh, for being rescued. Um, I thought that was great. K2SO was, I think, the, the big highlight of this movie. And it shows a little bit of his snarkiness. And Jin's scenes, they weren't anything too out of the ordinary for me. But K2SO and Cassian killing, yeah, differences to what we're used to from Star Wars. Yeah, I would have shot that motherfucker for sure. I <laughs> <laughs> when they're talking there, I'm like, why is this guy whispering? He's talking so loud there's stormtroopers around like shut up dude so when he capped him i was like hey good good choice like you needed to you needed to shoot that dude he he had it coming but so about, i was totally good but what about the no, concept of now you're seeing someone who works for the rebellion previously they're all good guys who don't do any bad except you know you know defend themselves or attack the death star and now you're seeing a guy kill in cold blood, justified or not, they're painting the rebellion as Andrew and Nathan have mentioned in a bit of a different light. What's your take on that? Big perfect sense to me. Uh, I'm glad that we actually get some of that because you know that that, I mean, these, they are terrorists. Mm-hmm. They can call them rebels, but they are doing things that there there is, it's not a black and white universe. That was one of the things I was looking forward to seeing about Rogue One was were they going to paint this in shades of gray? We don't have any Jedi. We don't have any Sith. 
So, you know, who are these guys? Are they actual? If they're re- rebels, then they're going to be making choices like this. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 uh, I appreciated the integration of that of that portrayal there. And, you know, he didn't want to shoot him. He just is like he had to. So that was great. K2SO, good introduction to this droid. He kind of reminded me of HK47. From yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Even though he's still no HK47. Like, no, no. no he's, nobody uh, touches HK. That that guy needs a movie of his own. I would watch HK47, a Star Wars story, in a, in a <laughs> heartbeat. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Andrew, any, any, I know uh, Nathan's played it and Jeff's played it. Have you played Knights of the Old Republic? You know about HK? I know you've been trying for years. I was just like trying to Google him really quickly. No, I never played Knights of the Old Republic. Andrew, get the fuck off the phone. (laughs) 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 Holy shit, you've never played Knights of the Old Republic. No, it came out like when I didn't have an Xbox or when I didn't have a console. So I never got a chance. And then, yeah, I know Harry's been trying to convince me for years, but I don't like him that much. So I don't listen to what he says. Uh, that's, but, that's fair argument. Yeah. Now with you guys, perhaps I'll, I'll get into it. But uh, no, sorry, guys. That's that's the best Star Wars game ever. But that's OK. If you ever feel like playing the best Star Wars game ever made, feel free to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at, yeah, at your uh, discretion. At your discretion. Um, but Jeff, any comments on Jin? You guys, no one's I know it's well, early on and she hasn't yeah, done or said much at this point because she's just broken out. So any comments here or none at all? I got nothing to say about her just yet. We don't... She's, we don't she's, have a real introduction to her at this point. Yeah, we, at this we've, point, we've, correct. We just met her. I mean, does she even have any dialogue in that scene? No. Valid point. Let's move on. I'll just add my points here. Yeah, I love Cassian killing the guy. I thought it was uh, it was shocking as well to me. I was just like, whoa, okay, this is a new take. And uh, on a, a second viewing, which I saw last night, yeah, it seemed it was justified. And I, I totally support it. And I love the shades of gray that they're, as you guys mentioned, that they're painting the Rebel Alliance. And this won't be the only scene. Scene. This happens a few more times throughout the movie, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, I liked K2SO's uh, introduction here as he chokeslams Jin. And, uh, and I love the breakout. It was it was pretty cool. But I wanted to throw a little bit of trivia, and this has not been confirmed, and I'm surprised nobody has mentioned it online. I haven't seen or heard anything online. I noticed it in my first viewing, and I said I gotta listen to it again for the second viewing and heard it again. I'm pretty sure one of the stormtroopers there is William Defoe. What? Yes. What? William wow. Defoe. That is his... It's either Defoe or somebody is playing his voice. He's on the transport... Uh, with Jin uh, that gets shot as the rebels break out. The stormtrooper gets shot multiple times and he flails his arms like he's being, you know, uh, turning into the goblin doing that flaying again. That, but you could, he has a dialogue before the breakout and it, that is William Defoe's voice in a nutshell. He has a very distinctive voice. So that's, that was him. And if not, it's somebody who sounds exactly like Now, did you, did you just like, did you hear that that was a I possibility have, beforehand no, or, no, or I'm, no, you just... I'm putting the, my two cents in. I'm calling it. And I could be completely wrong, but it sounds like William Defoe. Maybe they're going to do this. You know, we were arguing about Daniel Craig before, and it actually turned out to be Daniel Craig. No, I thought that was turned out to no, not be Daniel Craig. No, I think it was Daniel Craig. That Daisy Ridley. I think it is Daniel Craig. Daisy Ridley confirmed it was Daniel Craig. Where did she confirm that? Well, I, I just remember was... her reading an interview. The internet confirmed it. The internet confirmed it. Uh, Anyways. Fuck. Yeah. Anyways. Anyway. So if they're going to do this, you know, they might have, you know, guest celebrities here playing stormtroopers, so... I'm just saying that I'm throwing that in in the pot. So whether it's true or so not. So these Star Wars movies are going to basically turn into the Muppets TV show where it's just <laughs> like all these celebrities show up popping up here and there. 
Well, you're going to get fucking Drake and Rihanna coming in and oh, fucking uh, shitty oh. rapper celebrities like fucking Ice-T and Ice Cube. They're going to be in there eventually. And fuck. I'm waiting for the Dave Chappelle Stormtrooper. That's what I want. Right. <laughs> let's move on. So I think now let's we're getting cutting into an Imperial scene here. We see Krennic meeting up with the man himself, Tarkin, back from the dead so to speak, and they start talking about the Death Star and its capabilities. It's a quick scene here establishing their relationship. Any thoughts here, gentlemen? Jeff, go first. I guess, I'll, I mean, I'm going to put my thoughts on the CG Tarkin. Didn't, I didn't like it. I mean, I, I don't know why they felt the need to do this. I guess they need to show that Tarkin's going to be in command of, of the Death Star because that's uh, the state of things in, in A New Hope. But no, I, I, that, this, that, that really pulls me out of it when they... When they, you know, when CG characters show up like this, you know, you just can't CG a human face yet. It, it doesn't work. You know, it, it, it totally pulled me out of it. Hmm. Andrew, how about yourself? Definitely the main focus of the conversation after the, the movie concluded in the theater. And when they first showed the back of Tarkin's head, at first it, I thought it was just going to be bad. He was going to turn around and that would be the end of the scene. Like, I'm very glad that I didn't have any spoilers leading into that Tarkin actually would play a, not necessarily a major role, but a fairly significant role in the movie. And I felt like the, the animation got better as the movie progressed. And given how Tarkin has been portrayed in Star Wars Rebels, seeing him on the movie screen, I actually really liked the fact that they used the character to support the movie. And I thought they did a, a pretty good job in depicting him. And I don't know how they could have done it without the inclusion of, of Tarkin. And it just kind of brings about more of that, that backstory with Tarkin that you don't get within A New Hope. So I liked it. I wish the CGI was better. Like when we talk about the, the very brief... CGI at the very end of the movie, I thought that was completely different. I did not like that one. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. it, it was very blatant. But this one, I thought they did a very good job. And so I was really impressed. And that was actually one of the highlights of the movie. Oh, like, man. Come on, Andrew. Really? It's, tar- it's Tarkin. It's, it's terrible. I'm on the side with Andrew, man. I loved oh, it. Oh, come on. I loved it. This is one of the highlights of the movie for me. I agree. The CG has a little bit of, little bit of ways to go. It's not perfect. I loved Tarkin's presence here. I loved it, and I loved the interplay between Tarkin and Krennic. I'm kind of mixed on this a little bit. I mean, it, he is a necessary character for this movie because of what does happen in, in New Hope. So you do have to establish him. I was shocked that he had as much dialogue as he did in the movie, not just this scene necessarily, but just later on. Yeah, we, yeah, we really went to the uncan- Uncanny Valley with the CG. And I'm actually surprised it didn't look up. better. Uncanny Valley, yep. Okay. And I think that's what Jeff but has. Jeff, I'm actually Jeff is suffering from Uncanny Valley here. Yes, Uncanny <laughs> Valley. I think we're both... <laughs> I mean, I'm suffering from Uncanny Valley. <laughs> it, but it is, It is. I mean, he, he is definitely necessary. And I, I kind of suspected when, when, you know, I read more about like what this movie was supposed to be when they first announced it, that I thought, oh, okay, they'll, they'll probably put uh, Tarkin in here. But I figured it would be like like a hologram. Right. So that way it didn't have to they didn't have to have it look as good necessarily. If they had him as a hologram, you could kind of get away with him looking a little bit more CG and it would have been fine. I'm kind of mixed on it. And I, I'm shocked it didn't actually look be- look better because, you know, Robert Downey Jr. in, in Civil War, I thought that looked pretty good. But I mean, I guess that's because they're mapping like his real face. I liked the interplay there. And I kind of like the way we've uh, established uh, Krennic now as Kind of like this guy who kind of has his leash on him and, he, you know, you sort of see like, oh, like like just uh, he's just kind of seething underneath when he's talking with uh, with Tarkin. I, I liked that. I liked his performance in that scene. 
Yes, I'm in complete agreement here with with Andrew and Nathan here. I, I probably liked it even more than all of you guys. I thought the CGI, while obviously CGI, it was pretty damn fucking good. That's just my opinion, and I don't suffer. I I suffered a little bit more from the uncanny valley with Leia at the end because I felt they just ran out of money and they just said fuck it. So that's just me. But I thought these scenes were great and. I love the fact that you're establishing Krennic as someone who is a bit insecure. He, you know, he's power hungry. He's unsure, you know, he wants to get the recognition because really this is his project. And this is a kind of little new interesting facet and a new layer adding into here because as we'll learn later, Tarkin, you know, kind of screws him over a little bit and we'll talk about that later. But I love these first scenes here and uh, I was just very happy. Let's move on. So now, since Jin is broken out of prison by the rebels, uh, we're heading back to Yavin 4, and we get to see some nice inter- or interesting panoramic shots of those temples on the planet. They established the Rebel Alliance base. What was it like seeing it again here? These scenes, you see Mon Mothma, you see Jimmy Smith's return as Bail Organa. You see the Alliance kind of now acting a little bit more as a MI6 slash military organization here. Uh, and these are, again... They're not under desperate circumstances here, because everything is always so rushed before in the original trilogy, there's no time to linger. Here we get to linger. So what what are your thoughts here? Nathan, go ahead first. Well, it's interesting that you use the word linger, because I, I feel like we're, we're doing that constantly throughout the movie for better or for worse. And I really like seeing this again. I mean, I mean, that's such a great, I don't, I wonder if they actually did shoot it again in, it's somewhere in Mexico or Central America. So yeah, I really liked the shot. They did a really good job thought of recreating feel from episode four at the rebel base. And again, like we're, you know, we're just establishing all the players and I liked seeing Mon Mothma there. And I kind of liked how they were establishing the rebellion as they're a force now, but it's like, ooh, we're okay, we're still trying to figure things out. And the scene here, again, like it's strange because it actually it seems like it, it this scene differed from what was shown in the trailers. I'm kind of glad that they dropped some of the dialogue uh, from uh, like uh, Felicity Jones, like some of the stuff, her dialogue in the trailers, which I didn't like. I again, I like this interplay here. And the the setting up of the spy story, I thought that that's really cool. And again, it's something we just haven't seen before in Star Wars. Yeah, I, I'm glad Nathan brought up the differences between the, the trailer and what actually was shown in the movie, because there's a lot of really corny lines that I'm pretty sure Disney watched this when they ordered the reshoots and like, we're going to have to tinker around this. Like when she says that we rebel, like that was like an eye roller moment when watching the trailer. But for me, I, one of the highlights for this opening, well, this introduction to Yavin 4 and the, the Rebel Alliance was bringing back, and I can't, I should have looked up her name, but the actress who played Mon Mothma, whose scene was cut from episode three, really happy to see her involved, but also you see like the inner workings of the Rebel Alliance. But for me, like what struck me is like later on in the movie, it kind of showed like the Rebel Alliance just still isn't on the same page. Like they don't have that backbone that I think they needed some type of, and it's corny to say like a hope, because hope is used throughout this movie that's brought up, but they needed someone to bring them together to say, it's like, we can actually, like, we can actually win. Uh, but seeing Yavin 4, and I love the visuals. Like, it, it was great to see just everything come together, and like, they paid homage to A New Hope, but they didn't have anything that was technologically advanced that would seem jarring, but it felt like just like a new hope with modern-day technologies, so everything seemed to connect. I really like seeing Jimmy Smith's, I don't know why it's such a soft spot for jimmy smith's because it's not like he's great or anything but i liked seeing him i think it's genevieve o'reilly is the name of the 
actor who plays Mon Mothma, and that was neat yeah, to see that, that he's the same person from episode You're right, three. that is her name, yeah. That's her name, yeah. Yeah, because she's still in Revenge of the Sith, but she doesn't have any lines, or she has like one line or something. So it's cool that they, it, it almost feels like, and, and you know, everybody rips apart the prequels as, as we have done as well, but it's nice to see references to it it almost helps legitimize the prequels when when we're still getting some of the connective tissue from it even though you know we're all not we're not huge fans of a lot of that material it helps like tie it into the greater universe what i will say is maybe they probably maybe they explored on the new on that cartoon uh what's on star wars rebels but we don't see a whole lot of what this rebellion is really all about. Maybe it's maybe that's too obvious to say because you know we know that the Empire is evil. You know, like the, the Jedi kind of know that they're evil, but the Jedi been eradicated. So is it just Mon Mothma and, and Bail Organa who who kind of know the truth of who the Emperor is, and because you know they were privy to those events, they were there with Obi Wan and Yoda. You know, like the rebellion doesn't seem to exist from any other place then you know it's obviously good versus evil like well what what is it you know maybe it's stupid to say and we talked about this when we did force awakens but what are the politics of of this rebellion of this well i don't think they need to really that, you know I, I don't think they really need to establish too much of that here because we know the tyranny of the rebe- of the empire from the original trilogy and i guess a little bit from from revenge of the sith seeing what palpatine did and well, yeah, we do know the tyranny. I just, uh, I, I did, but from the, like, who, I don't know, the rebellion, I mean, you're right, we don't really need it, because we all, I, I guess that's that's material that doesn't need to be uh, explored here, because, you know, we do, I guess we know what we know from the original trilogy, so, I don't know. But it is, it is a, I think it is a good point, because it, it, I think part of the thing that makes it weird is that introduce this idea of the gray area then then yeah because i did think about that too afterwards and i was i I don't think this is the case but i mean the rebellion didn't come out of the separatists movement of the prequels i don't think no but it almost seems like it kind of is like they're still fighting the same fight in a way that the separatists were kind of even though that was all we don't have to get into that but i think it's i think that's a solid point when you introduce gray into this black and white universe and yeah it gets a little muddled sometimes yeah i i liked for for me i i love these scenes because it does establish some legitimacy to the rebel alliance they're not just you know some plucky guys just sitting around having a beer and you know porkins eating a burger and then oh they're about to attack let's (laughs) you know let's let's take off on an x-wing and hopefully we can you know blow them up to to save our they should have cg'd porkins into this oh porkins into the lift we got to get him into his x-wing he's the one that destroyed the the star destroyer that would have been awesome oh that would have been amazing yeah (laughs) porkins aside but i loved i loved the expansion here where we see Jin being interrogated you see some depth to the military legitimacy of what the alliance is they're really still small but they're legitimate and that they have their claws into everything around all the systems but you know with Cassian's scene before and what you see now you know he's an intelligence officer I I liked these scenes I liked how they were really kind of, you know, going after Jin because she's, her dad's working for, you know, the Empire and they assume that she's just on their side and a conspirator and she's just a criminal and a thief and, you know, she goes to help. And I love these scenes and I liked how calm yet scared Felicity Jones played 
Jin here. I thought it was a bit of a nuanced performance in these scenes, and I liked it. And I, I liked also Cassian scenes here. And I don't know who the guy was who was interrogating Jin. I, I like these scenes here, along with seeing Jimmy Smiths and, and Mon Mothma. So, but what happens? Let's move on. So, what happens here? Obviously, she agrees to find her dad because he, based on some leaked information from a cargo pilot, they need to find Saw Gerrera, and they head to Jeddah, where this guy is, and they want to get some information because they apparently saw Guerrera is linked to that leaked information and she they believe she'll be able to track her dad at that point. So let's talk about Jetta and Saw Guerrero, who's played by Forrest Whitaker, and all of these scenes. Let's let let's talk. It's a it's a lot of information here, guys. But to save time, we'll group it all together so you can talk about Jetta as a whole, all the way up to its destruction. So here you get you know your introduction to Bodhi, your introduction to Saw Guerrero. You know you learn about the Jedi Temple and the Kyber crystals being what the the Empire is doing there. They're retra- uh, retrieving all the Kyber crystals. They're doing their mining there to from an old Jedi Temple to which will eventually power the Death Star lasers. You get some action here. You see Saw's terrorist team take out an Empire Garrison and Jin and Cassian get involved and then they get captured. You have Bodhi who's being slightly interrogated and tortured by uh, this Mowgli character. It's like a Vulcan with tentacles. Even It looks like a melted Spock, I guess. Yeah. So let's talk about all this, including the Death Stars blowing up Jeddah as they escape. Sure. So I'm going to start with the blowing up of Jeddah by the the Death Star. I mean, it looked awesome. It looked great. And what's odd is even though they're using a mere fraction of the Death Star's power, because, you know, we've all seen it blow up Alderaan, right? And this is a mere fraction of this. I, I get a much more powerful feeling seeing it like this, like the destructive power of the Death Star. This is the first time it really hit me. Even after having, you know, having seen A New Hope 150,000 times. And there's another um, thing here, Jeff, like when it, when they blew it up, you see the after effect of the explosion, even after you see the um, shockwave go through on the planet's surface, you see the shit still flying up into the stratosphere. Yeah, great shot. And, and, and like I say, I mean, you maybe it's very visceral explosion. This is so visceral and, and you see what the impact is. That was great. I was under the impression originally that the Death Star didn't have tactical laser abilities until the second Death Star, but I guess that's a, that's a minor detail. I wanted more of Forrest Whitaker. You know, that was an interesting character and, and you know, just kind of see him get wiped off the face of the Star Wars galaxy and it, it, so quickly was kind of unfortunate. It was good care. I thought he was going to be a bigger player in the film, but it also was my, when that happened, I was like, oh man, they're probably going to kill all of these motherfuckers, aren't they? <laughs> you know? And as for the introduction to the rest, uh, didn't love, uh, what's the pilot's name there? Bo- Bodhi. Yeah. Yeah, not. I wasn't a huge fan of that, and even uh, the other two guys, uh, Donnie Yen and and the other dude. Yeah, their their names are Chirrut and Maze or Maz. Right. Honestly, I was a little bit disappointed with those guys as well. They just seemed a little. I don't know what the word is. I don't want to say one note, but they were they were not. They they felt a little uh, one dimensional to me at the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you t- did you notice that they said that these guys were keeper of the wills? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, but yeah, I did then, notice that. And Cassian yeah. said, "There's the temple's gone, so they're not they're useless now." Yeah, and, and yeah. they really really m- cool m- throwback there. Yeah. Cool throwback. I still don't know what a fucking will is. You know, someone please enlighten me. What the fuck is a will? Because I thought it was like these documents. I'm, I'm pretty sure George. Lucas didn't even work it out. And that's why I was dropped. <laughs> yeah, keep it yeah, the will. I think you're right. Yeah. So, so it's like at first I thought there were people or a race, and then there it's like a document or it's like I, I believe. I don't know. Well, because if, because the original screenplay, it's it's from the Journal of the Will, so maybe it's a collection of knowledge of like scripture or scrolls or or whatever, right? Maybe that's the uh, you know the the collection of knowledge that is the religion of the Force. That's kind of how I interpreted it, but I mean, maybe we'll never know. Yeah, we won't know. But they're keeper of something. So, any other comments? How about the action set piece here, Jeff? With, with mm-hmm. the uh, with the you know uh, Saw's terrorist band taking out the garrison and Jin and Cassian getting involved. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool because that's we don't get a lot of really intimate frontline action in the Star Wars universe, and and this did a pretty good job of that being right in the trenches, if you will, with these guys. So a good, yeah, it was a good action set piece. I think it played out well. Uh, the best action scenes are always character driven though and or, or, or because the characters involved or that's what provides the tension and we don't really know anybody very well yet so that you know that removes some of the emotional significance of it but it sure looked great hmm. uh andrew yourself jetta there's so much stuff to, uh, to talk about i love how you guys brought up like the destruction of a port like of the the, the city and the temple from the death star's perspective because it like that that brought about a more terrifying perspective, like blowing up a planet. Yeah, it's, it's pretty terrifying. But actually seeing it from the ground level, which you get to see twice in this movie, it's just, it's horrific. And I love how they portrayed it. For me, having watched Rebels and having watched uh, The Clone Wars, the introduction and the, sorry, like bringing Sagarera into the movie, when he didn't really have much to do, felt a little bit too much fan service. And not really fan service in such that like, he wasn't that much of a main character in the, in the cartoon. And it could have really been anyone. I thought they just put him in the movie just to have some type of connection to the, uh, the cartoon series. Um, when they had like little nods throughout the course of the movie that I thought were a lot better. But for me, I, I love this sequence in general. But I was a little disappointed that there wasn't more exploration of the Jedi Temple. I know they probably wanted to separate the Jedi from what was going on here. But like you see bits of it within uh, Clone Wars and with Rebels. But I would have loved to have seen that on the big screen. Like perhaps like the Empire has desecrated the temple and like any reminder of the Jedi's are gone. But it also brings up like they do talk about a new hope and the rest of the original trilogy about how the Jedi are really fables. Like they you don't hear much about them, but here it is, like this planet is or the city is built on top of the Jedi Temple. And so the Jedi are, are pretty well known. I wish they'd explore that more, but I understand why they couldn't, because they really want to distinguish this from like not necessarily being a Jedi movie, but being more about like the ground troops that are, are part of the Rebel Alliance. But overall, I loved I love this part of the movie. So how about learning about Galen and, and he put the flaw on the Death Star? We, mm. we learn about that in these scenes here. We see Jin's reaction because she also thinks her dad is a traitor. You know, she has these memories we see of her before when she's young and, and you see Galen in Imperial uniform and Ben Mendelsohn, you know, having a bottle of whiskey. And, you know, so her saying, uh, him saying, I love you and all that stuff and I'll always protect you. And then she sees the hologram here and he explains what he did. 
and everything like that. And you see her reaction, uh, Andrew. You also get some other K2SO moments here. And any comments from you, Andrew, here on those? Uh, well, the sequence, the sequence where like she's shown the hologram of, of her dad, that was an amazing performance by Felicity Jones. And like you see that like, she's got such a bitterness towards her father earlier on, but then it like just seeing him and he provides all the rationale about why he did what he had to do, putting the, the weakness of the Death Star. Like you just, it, she played this very very well, and so I was I was really impressed. K2SO, like I probably could spend an entire effective character he was and so his sequences were great which was consistent for him throughout the course of the movie but Lucy Jones did a, a fantastic performance during the second how about Bodhi any comments on Bodhi here I wasn't a big fan of Bodhi like he didn't really he wasn't a, one of the memorable characters seemed a little harsh what they were going through in terms of like uh, putting him in jail but the Bodhi character for me wasn't one that I came away from going oh that guy was great was my... all right so no brown love for Bodhi Nathan how about yourself <laughs> Oh, I mean, there's oh boy, you know, there's a lot to unpack with a lot of these scenes. Yeah, I, I mean, Jeff, or, I mean, you guys already talked about the Death Star destruction. I thought that looked great. I thought the look of the 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 city on the temple there. That's kind of I feel like that's probably what Lucas would have wanted for precisely right. I mean, it's it's full of criminals and it's it's cramped and you've got all these stormtroopers walking around. It's there. I mean, just and people look kind of destitute. I thought. I thought the um, what the that set I thought was great. I thought the, that initial that sabotage. Yeah, it's a cool fight, but yeah, Jeff kind of makes a good point that I mean we're not really connected to it. And I, I was I was pretty underwhelmed by the introduction. I know we had already had an introduction to Bodhi. I thought he was fine. I thought the character was actually fine, but it, it, they don't. There's nothing really there for that character. Same as Chirrut and Baz, somewhat underwhelmed. You know, stormtroopers, man, they need an upgrade if if they can be taken out by a stick. I mean, we already knew that their armor <laughs> sucked against <laughs> blasters, but well, Ewoks. Um, oh, oh boy, yeah. I guess that's a good point. Anyways. Again, like, yeah, Felicity Jones has a pretty good problem here for me where you didn't necessarily see those that initial scenes from a, the chi- like child's perspective. Right. So we see them as a third party. And so her belief of what her father was, it seemed a bit odd to me. I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, I get I mean, I understand that, yes, her character would see him that way, but we weren't introduced to him in that fashion. So so the performance while good, I don't know, it was kind of flat. And But I think, again, like uh, the uh, interactions that Krennic had with the other officers uh, and, and Tarkin, again, I was shocked that Tarkin had so much dialogue. He almost could have gotten right through that Tarkin as the bad guy. But I liked I liked that interplay there. And I think, again, that was really building up. And I also really loved the shots of when the Death Star engineer operators were setting up the beam weapon, actually, because it was like a real nod to episode four. And there's so many, there's so many fan service nods. I mean, in here, I mean, like they had the two guys from most Eisley, which I mentioned, yeah. there's yeah. a probe droid. I'm surprised, you know, like Watto wasn't flying over top in a, in a <laughs> pod racer at some point, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, um, you see, you see Ponda Baba and Dr. Evison or whatever. Evis, I don't know what his name is, but uh, Doc Evazan, I think. And yeah. that's the, that's the guy, that's the, Human guy, and then yeah, Ponda you know. is uh, the other yeah. alien looking. The guy who has an overall ass for mouth, right? So okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so those guys got like a real thing for desert planets. I don't know, but I wish we had more Force Whitaker. I think he's such a great actor. In fact, a lot of these actors are really good. Even the guy who plays Bodhi, can't remember what his last name is. It's it's Riz Riz Ahmed, I think. I think. 
Yeah. And I think he's actually a, like a fantastic actor. And so the fact that, you know, we didn't have more Forrest Whitaker, you know, a little disappointing, but I mean, I understand that, okay, you know, the focus is, I mean, he's not the main character. We're going to kill the guys off here. And it's kind of, and actually maybe, you know, I'm changing my opinion. I do like that they killed him off because then it actually makes it like no one is safe. It's going to say like a, a, these sequences here when they're on Jetta up to when they leave. I mean, I thought, I thought it was great actually. Yeah, actually I think these, this is, this section here is probably my favorite could be one of the favorite sequences in the movie because I really love Saw Gerrera, Forrest Whitaker's character. Like you guys, I he played him so unique. It was like I was on, you know, like I could picture Avery Brooks in this role, and I was I was getting excited. <laughs> oh, a missed opportunity. <laughs> missed completely missed opportunity. This was Avery Brooks. Well, I really wanted him here, but because he played him really, you know, kind of a few, you know, a couple cans short of a six pack here. Like he was a little off, and I think the war was did that to him and you could see he was all mangled up he had only one foot working and other one was completely mechanical he couldn't breathe and it was quite interesting and i remember seeing this character on clone wars when i watched it a while ago the one time i think he's only in one episode so whether or not they're starting to tie in all these other you know minor characters into the movie that's fine whether they do it or not i don't care about that but i liked for what forrest whitaker brought to this role it was a very unique performance i enjoyed it and it's too bad i think if he stayed throughout the movie that might have helped the movie a little bit i i kind of wish he stayed with with the group i love learning about the kyber crystals here made complete sense you know kyber crystals is going all the way back to splinter of a mind's eye that book that was released after a new hope and mm. i and i don't and i think it was a power crystal that was supposed to kind of like absorb or enhance the force so they've kind of changed it whether that's true or not i, I don't know but it's a it seems to be used for a different reason here this is one one of the moments here where i actually liked k2so the most later on in the movie i felt some of the humor with k2so was a bit forced and not as funny but I enjoyed his moments here where it's like, you know, he's just getting the bag and he just drops it and says, well, whatever, screw you guys. And, and there's another one where he actually shows up like Felicity Jones, I think, shoots another Imperial droid that looks like him. And then he goes, oh, oh yeah. did, you, did you know this was me? I actually got a, a, a kick out of that moment. I yeah. laughed at that. that yeah, I, la I, I legitimately laughed out loud at that. Uh, I love the action bit here. Something I was surprised you guys didn't mention. Again, realizing that Jin is kind of in the middle of the action and he sees one of another rebel, even though they're not part of the rebel team because Saw's team, terrorist team, he shoots one of them on the roof. And he falls and, and it blows himself up. He does that to save Jin. And Saw's team even notices that. And I loved these kind of little details because, again, you're making the universe kind of gray. And I love that because, uh, no, you know, nothing is perfect here. Yeah, Bodhi, so far, probably, you know, I, I, I'll i say it now, probably, you know, the most disappointing character out of the new bunch. He didn't really have a lot to offer in this movie. It's too bad because I like Riz Ahmed. I've seen him in Nightcrawler and a couple other flicks, and he's pretty good. I was kind of hoping he was Kitster, and he would come in and complete the high five and, and do something like that. Because but... it could only be one brown guy in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. yeah, there's only one brown guy. That's it. So, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate here, but I love the... The ending with uh, the destruction with the Death Star, as we talked about, that was just amazing. Amazing. And I love the interplay between Ben Mendelsohn again and the CGI Tarkin. I love how Ben Mendelsohn just says, ah, fucking fire already. He's just getting, uh, he's already getting frustrated because he knows he's being, he can kind of tell he's being undermined by Tarkin. And I've been in that situation at work, not necessarily firing a weapon, but 
just like you know your bosses just undermine you they want to take the credit so it's like i I feel for i feel for krennic here you do all the work and someone else wants to take the credit for it or is always undermining this as a platform to complain about your boss (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> you're right though i i thought that was like the strong one of the stronger scenes like uh, for this section of the movie that scene with with krennic and tarkin and his performance there was so great he's like you know he, he could tell he's already starting to get fucked over and he's getting frustrated and this will lead to something else which we'll talk about later he has to go bish and complain to somebody else but anyways uh, th- this planet Jeddah's blown up they make their escape I loved all of these shots something I want to ask you guys let's talk about the visuals here because in the CGI you see that Jedi statue in the sand you see all the landing shots and them taking off and you see all the destruction here along with the city itself on the top of one of those huge canyons amazing visual scenes here the cgi is really blowing me away in this movie well how about you guys let's quickly talk about that here jeff start first visually what's your thoughts so far in this movie no i completely agree the visual style that they've established where it is it's like a new hope on a bigger budget with a few more coats of grime and dust on top of it and they do a, a spectacular job and yet they're still they show restraint with the camera work so my favorite favorite shot is is seeing that Star Destroyer looming over top of the city. I think that, you know, that's kind of the microcosm of the whole. It looks great, but they're not doing a bunch of weird camera work. And I've said it on the show before, if you want to make this stuff look real, you have to have real cameras in a sense. That camera's got to be in a physical spot that you can believe to sort of ground the whole the whole experience. A lot of credit goes to Gareth Edwards, I think. I think you saw this in in uh, Godzilla, which you know wasn't a great film for some reasons, for a lot of reasons, but it looked incredible. And the the scope of it is still grounded, and and he just did such an excellent job. The, uh, the design, the art design of this film was top notch. If it doesn't win an Academy Award, that'll be a that'll be criminal. For, yeah, I, I, I would agree. Yeah, it would be criminal. I haven't seen visuals like this in ever. Uh, I can't think of something that's been this visually impressive since the original trilogy. The visuals were spectacular. The sense of scale. Like that's what they were mentioning. Like I was reading about Gareth Edwards, like his ability to convey just how grand some of these things were. Like that, as Jeff mentioned, like that image of the Star Destroyer over the temple and the city. That's just one of a good dozen visuals throughout the course of this movie where you're like, oh my god, like this thing is just mammoth. Like when they're I'm not sure if this was the part when they're lowering the dish into the Death Star, like where you see the Star Destroyer and the visuals for the Star Destroyer. Yeah, that was awesome. Unbelievable and just visuals about like just how big the Death Star was throughout the course of the movie. Like you see it blocking the sun, you see it coming over the horizon, breathtaking. Like I I'm, I, you guys can hear it right now. Like I'm just at a loss for words, just how amazing it felt just to see it portrayed in such a way that I'm pretty sure that's why Lucas loved this movie. Uh, like the stuff that he wanted to do but couldn't, they were able to reproduce here in, uh, in Rogue One. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel the same way as all you guys. I love the sense of scale that was uh, that he gave the, the Death Star and the uh, Star Destroyers. Visually, this love or hate this movie, I mean, you can't deny that visually it's pretty amazing. CGI work is really great other than, you know, if you want to dispute the, you know, CG faces. But I think that the just the practical effects 
look great. I mean, town on top of the temple, that fight, you know, the, the tank thing that, that the stormtroopers were in. I mean, all of that looks so great. And, you know, again, like, I really think that a lot of this is probably stuff that Lucas would have wanted to do if he had the money for it in episode four. And so I think that that's why this movie, like, it really fits in with the rest of the universe. Yeah, it's a beautifully shot movie. Yeah, and I agree. I think I think the, we'll probably agree at the end of this movie that the this movie's biggest strength is probably the visuals. The way Gareth Edwards filmed this and did the cinematography and set the stage so the guys in the CGI department can, you know, the practical side of it, CGI side of it, meshed so well together in this movie. It, it was very, uh, very remarkable to see. But let's move on. So from here, because they learn of the location of where, through Bodhi, where her father Galen is, they go to the planet at Edu to so they can track him down and let's talk about the entire events that happen on Edu. We have Krennic that learns from Tarkin that you know Tarkin's still not going easy on him. He says, "Oh well, you know your the Death Star is complete. It was an interesting performance test, but you're not ready for command because." We have no confidence that you can handle security measures because there's been leaked information that they've tracked through from Edu, which was Bodhi. So Krennic goes back and you see him interrogate Galen and his uh, engineering crew. So you have that stuff. Then you also have Jin meeting her father again and, and that little battle. The X-Wings coming in. Cassian also giving, you know, this is the interesting aspect here is Cassian is given the orders to execute Galen from the Rebel Alliance. And he decides against it at the last minute. What do you think of these these scenes here? K2SO has some other moments of attempted humor. Chirrut and Maze helping out on the sidelines here when there's a little bit of a dogfight between the X-Wings invading. Interesting point here also is that Jin also makes mention that it's the Alliance bombs, which is true, that kills her father. Yeah, I like the setting. Wondered why. What's that? What's that guy's name? Not Donnie Yen, but is the other the bearded dude? Well, his name is uh, Maze, I think. Maze. Okay, yeah. so Maze Malbus. Why doesn't everybody have one of those fucking guns? <laughs> in the no universe, kidding. because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, like get the rebels a few more of those, and war's over, baby. That thing. That guy's a death machine with that with that thing. Yeah, it's like uh, Arnie it's, with the minigun. Yeah, in T T. Yeah, exactly. So those, you know, those guys maybe are a bit overpowered soldiers for the setting here. What I really liked about this scene here, and you know, as uh, and Harry, you you talked about it. Krennic keeps getting undermined by by Tarkin, you know, and that that was a really cool dynamic that was going on here that goes on throughout the movie, where they still execute the rest of the scientists there. That was the high point uh, of this sequence here, because we're you know we're we're seeing a little bit more behind the scenes of how the Empire works so that's kind of that was kind of neat for me to see Uh, as for the alliance bombs killing her father i mean they didn't kill him on purpose like they were you know they were just they were bombing the facility i don't know were they sent to kill i know that they had given uh what's his name orders to assassinate it but i thought those were no because i think what happened here is is the alliance they don't know at that point that galen made you know they don't know that galen put something in the death star and they, they don't know of him helping the alliance you know, he's about to finish the Death Star. They also don't know that the Death Star is almost operational as it is anyways. So they're saying he's the reason why the Death Star is existing. We need to assassinate the... Yeah, I got the impression that it was like, this guy's like the weapon master. We need to take him out because yeah. he's so good at 
It's just like the what U.S. It yeah, does, it's, right? it's, it's like the U.S. saying, okay, that you know, for terrorist organizations, there's specific bomb makers that are the best of the best. Well, you got to take them out. Yeah, you got to take them out. Yeah. yeah, you know, that's that's fair enough. I didn't feel one way or another about the Alliance bombs having killed having killed him. That's interesting. Yeah. I think, Anyways, yeah. I, I, I disagree, but go ahead. Well, how about Galen himself? Like, you see a little bit more of him here. You see Jim. Yeah, I mean, he's good. I mean, I like that actor as well. He's he's really good. And I, I thought he did a good job with the limited screen time that, that he has. You know, Star Wars is uh, one of the themes of Star Wars, obviously, is is family. So we're, we're getting a the family thread here with the with the father and and the daughter, which is neat. I mean that or gives Jin the emotional attachment to the mission. We didn't really talk about it before here. You kind of brought it up. I, I don't know how everybody else feels about the retconning of the the Death Star flaw being uh, by the by the lead designer of the thing. He built it in. So I, I mean, I kind of I, I thought that was a cool idea that let's let's make it so that wasn't a flaw that it was you know made by design so it could be destroyed. So I thought that was very strong idea. As well, if a little, I mean, the movie's all fan service, so maybe that was a little bit fan servicey to do that. But you know, I don't know what you guys think. Well, how about the any comments on? No, I'm just saying, like the the explanation, like it was actually it wasn't a design flaw, and that it was purposely put there. Basically, it it prevents that one big joke for the New Hope from actually being in existence, right? Because there are people saying in New Hope, like, how could you build this grand thing? And oh, look, there's just like this one massive flaw that no one noticed, but it was actually done on purpose. It just this movie continuously, I think, makes a new hope even stronger. And so I, I like that addition saying that this was something that was done on purpose. Okay, so Andrew, how about you just expand on the scenes on Edu here? Uh, I'm glad that you brought up the fact that it was rebel bombs that actually ended up killing him because it just goes to show that decisions are made in war that end up causing casualties that are, are unexpected. And so highlighting the fact that it was actually the rebels that ended up killing him was, I, I think, a very emotional part of this movie and, and Jin seeing that as well like I think it would have been a lot worse had Cassie had killed him and she would didn't have an opportunity to, to say hi to her dad and say how it was going and it's like well I'm dying but it's nice to see you like I, I thought the scene was was very good I was a little I wouldn't say let down but Cassian's decision not to shoot him based upon what you'd seen from the character already throughout the progression of the movie like this guy just didn't think twice about killing people that were getting in the way of the rebel alliance and for him to hesitate i know he's getting closer to jim and whatnot but it just seemed like it was a such a big shift in the character but it played into the the, the, the movie but i love the x-wing scenes like the x-wing scenes in this movie in general were spectacular like the space battles it just i love seeing every second of it because that was something that was missing in the fourth awakenings and now being able to see x-wing dogfights and uh, ground bombardment in such a way that it's just it's, it's unbelievable overall the sequence it just it was something that was kind of predictable how things would play out but um, i still enjoyed it nonetheless yeah I mean, I mean visually everything looks great i think the setting is really cool but overall i kind of found this a little bit plotting you know the fact that it was the bo- like uh, alliance bombs that killed her father I, that's a cool idea. I don't think that I don't think they played enough off of that afterwards. The fact that Cassian didn't uh, assassinate him. I guess I I like the decision because I think it would have been harder to connect with that character if he is that cold blooded. Really spent that much time with Chin. I know it's like we're dealing with movie time and stuff, but I I don't really feel like we've had enough time with those two characters together to see any sort of bond form at this point. But I think the standout performance again was Krennic. And I think 
his scene there with Galen. I mean, I thought that those two characters, like like those actors, had some pretty good chemistry. And so I, again, yeah, I kind of liked sort of seeing like you know behind the scenes of uh, the Imperial War Machine. The fact that he was killed, Galen was killed. I mean, it was by accident, I guess, incidentally by the Alliance. They would have killed him anyways. I don't really think that they. I don't think that had any payoff for the rest of the movie. Or maybe I'm just remembering it wrong. I mean, Harry, you've seen the movie 17 times now since it opened, so I'm just going to rely on your knowledge to to (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong. But I mean, I kind of feel like it was, well, it is sad, I guess, but... You know, there is no there's no payoff later for the character of Jin Erso. Yeah, I, I I kind of agree here. I think it's it's a sad moment. You know, it's a bit of a payoff because you know she gets to have a, a last minute moment with her dad, and you know he dies unfortunately, but they still have to go because they have to still escape because stormtroopers are, are are still shooting at them. I agree. I liked I like the conversation afterwards between her and Cassian in shuttle as they as they after the escape is that she approaches him and says you lied about this and then to me and you were going to do it and then he says well I didn't do it even though I had the orders to I still made the decision not to and then he's like still complaining to her you think you've been through anything you know I've been in this fight since I was 6 years old and I'd like these scenes here but you're right they don't go anywhere after this and the problem with a story like this is it's a one off as we all be, at the end of the movie everyone dies as we already know so you really can't build on that because the last act of the movie is just wall to wall action in a movie like this it's a little tough but I did like these scenes I liked as you agreed Ben Mendelsohn here was pretty good with uh, Mads Mikkelsen I like those scenes and you know he says you know you're done you know we wiped out jedda the last of the jedi the death stars working and you're fucked so fuck you i like those scenes here i like the dogfight as well with the x-wings coming in some great visuals i like even though i'm kind of at this point i don't know if i like it or not like it where that cheer it away guy uh played by donnie yen he uses uh he, he has his rambo 2 moment where he pulls back on a bow and arrow and uh, shoots down a TIE fighter. I like the lead up to it, though, because it's cold and rainy and he actually has to warm his hand up and he he blows on his hand mm. and says he has to move, you know, make it, you know, get the hand loose and then he fires. So I like the character moment there, the good acting. But yeah, these these guys, they're kind of just I have a problem with these guys throughout the movie. K2SO here, is he starting to get on your nerves? I know, Andrew, you you seem to be a fan. I loved him up to this point. At this point onwards, I was starting to get a little bit of annoyed with the humor. The obvious attempts at humor here. How about you guys? K2SO, how, how's he managing for you guys here? Jeff? He's not annoying me to this point, but he's he's definitely plateaued. He doesn't really get any better. His last scene in the film is, is pretty good. But, yeah, his last scene's good, but the humor, but yeah, I, I, throwing in the humor. Yeah, it's it's not doing a whole lot because that because he doesn't have anything else to contribute from a dialogue perspective. Being that he's a droid, he's he is one dimensional because he's a droid, so he gets probably too much screen time. He has too many lines. Yeah, and and yeah. it's you know so if they were if they would have just pulled back his dialogue a little bit, then it works fine. It's kind of like C three PO. C three PO doesn't have a lot of lines. In Star in Star Wars, well, uh, maybe that's not true, but you don't always show you don't just showcase the droid because they don't have a range of emotions. They have one thing that they do, so they should just give them that, and then you know, give some screen time to some other characters there. I think that would have been better. Yeah, as much as I did like the character, it comes to a certain point where like, okay, you gotta get he's 
this type of individual who says what's on his mind, but you don't need it as much as it would portray here. Like I, I think, as Jack mentioned, he did plateau, and so there wasn't much any difference uh, regarding the way character development. Yeah, the last scene from Spending's in was pretty great, but this one it was just, yeah, comes a time where, like, okay, this person doesn't need to see, say as much as they're saying. So, didn't really need him as much as he was in this particular scene. I, I wasn't really in love with the character overall, and I, I did reach a point, I don't know if it was necessarily this part of the movie, where I was like, ah, like, we just, I need... I need him to talk. I remember thinking that, uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder if the reason why he had so lines and every line of his is a joke. It feels like they cast Alan Tudyk. So it's like, Hey, just, just let him do his thing. Just let him riff and he'll just be funny and it'll work. But it didn't work for me. I'm very mixed on K2SO. We'll talk about his, his last scene later, which I thought was very effective. But overall, I think he was, he was a mixed bag, unfortunately. And he was a character I was really looking forward to the most in the movie. But now let's, we have, you know, probably one of the more interesting scenes of the movie as after Edu, director Kranich goes where I presume is Mustafar. And we see Darth Vader in his castle on Mustafar. They don't mention it like they do on the other planets that we see, which was kind of interesting. It's a little bit different than the other Star Wars movies. We didn't, it felt very Trek 09 where they start using title cards to name the planets there. But uh, we don't get that here. And that's probably to give the people the surprise that it is Mustafar and that's Vader's castle. We see Krennic talk to Darth Vader here. Let's talk about this gentleman. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the the thing with the title cards because that was one thing I felt mixed on for a Star Wars movie. It's like we're on this planet now. Here we're now we're on this moon here, we're on this planet. And yeah, I agree. I think it is Mustafar. And I believe the design of the castle is something uh, like an original design from I think Empire Strikes Back. I believe I read that somewhere today that they they took inspiration from that. And I really liked the scene, although I was a little confused as to why Krennic is going to Vader now. It's like, oh, wow, mommy was mean to me. I'm going to go to dad and get him to agree with me. <laughs> so it was kind of odd. And I, I think, again, like it shows like kind of like the interesting dynamics of how the Empire is run and who how Vader fits in, how Tarkin fits in. It's much more clear like when you get to episodes five and six. And then other than is one cringeworthy pun, I just don't see Vader doing puns. I felt that this was the exact amount of Vader talking for this movie that you needed. I think it was it was the right amount. So how about Vader himself? How how did he look to you? His motions, his is the the voice. I felt any, um, like I think it looked great. I remember like after the movie, it's sort of been brought up. It's like, well it sort of has a bit of the red tint red tinge to the eyes and stuff like that. It was like it was a real I think it was a, a neat callback to how episode four was lit. And he felt to me, I don't know. I mean, it's sort of hard to separate my feelings for this character, but I felt he was very menacing. I'm not sure if though, if, if Krennic felt menaced enough, I mean, it should be that you go to Vader, you should be maybe a little more scared. Maybe Krennic's just kind of a dumb dumb, and maybe he's, just, no. he, maybe he's that arrogant, but well, he is arrogant. I would have to see it again. Yeah, so I would I- have to see it again to sort of be able to judge the performance, but I felt like he should have maybe uh, felt uh, a little more intimidated to, to even go see Vader. To both Ben Mendelsohn and Gareth Edwards' credit, I will say that on both viewings, but confirmed the second time, I did notice Ben Mendelsohn's Krennic gulp the minute the shadow was revealed at Darth Vader and he's walking towards him. Okay. He, he was scared. Okay, so. I just, maybe I'm just not remembering it well enough. 
after the conclusion of the sequence, like I was happy if that was the only amount of Vader that we'd see in the course of, of Rogue One. But it just the the fan service in terms of how Vader looked, which was very in tune with how he looked in A New Hope, I thought was really good. But for me, it was actually more character development for Vader because he's now got his own little his, his shack. Um, his apartment where he goes home to after spending time on Star Destroyers and Death Star, he decides to pick of all places Mustafar. Mm-hmm. And like I think I've read online that like pretty much it's confirmed that it's Mustafar. And you see just like him and whatever the Imperial version of a Bacta tank is. I just love this expansion of Vader. Like, yes, he had the corny pun. It was a little snarky, very out of character for Vader. It was nice, but for me, it just showed that, like, of all the places, it's where he lost his humanity is where he spends the better part of his days. And him coming out and just that imposing nature, like, I, I noticed the gulp in the, in the first viewing. I thought it just really expanded Vader, and I was really happy with this. And, like, kind of coming and trying to grovel for, like, getting his position back, and Vader's like, oh, no, don't do this. Like you're going to mom because dad said no. Mom's going to say no as well, and then decides to choke him just to kind of reinforce that. Like Vader is pretty much a badass. I loved this expansion of of Vader, which got even better at the end of the movie. But we'll wait until that part so they gush even more. I think Andrew raised a good point there. Like of all the places he would choose Mustafar to build his sweet crib, that is very fascinating. Well, it makes complete sense. It totally does. Yeah, it does. So I think that's a that was a great touch. I thought he looked good. I mean, I, I was very, I was happy with it. James Earl Jones sounded a little older, but it was good. I want to know who was in the suit. So I don't, I don't have that information. But the body language worked for me. I, what was the pun? I, I missed. You both don't, brought it up. Don't, don't choke on your aspirations. As oh. he's choking him. Yeah, I love that actually. I thought that was good because Vader's talked some shit, guys. He, you probably forget that he. He does talk some shit in the original trilogy. So putting a little dig in there like that, I thought was perfectly fine, was was in character. A I, dig, I, maybe, but not a pun. Better than are you an angel? <laughs> yeah. I can make you an angel. <laughs> Do you want to be an angel? No. <laughs> that would have been funny. This is a cat. I would have made it. That would have been my line. Do you want to be an angel? <laughs> or his fortress of solitude was a cabin in the fields of Naboo where he can roll around and remember the good old times. You know, oh, boy. <laughs> no, you guys forgot to mention he's, got, he's also got like a dark side butler. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's got to be Snoke. Yeah. That's Snoke. That, I call it right now. It's Snoke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, a good a good interaction. I, 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 think, I think maybe, Harry, you can clear it up because you've seen it a couple times, but I, I was unclear why Krennic ran uh, to Darth Vader like for why like for what i don't i didn't really get that but then it's also unclear the role that darth vader plays in the command structure at this point in time so you know yeah i mean that's kind of a non-issue again harry maybe you can you can elucidate that for us but i thought it was a good scene yeah it's a good scene to answer your uh, question jeff i'm not sure i think it's just a scene to get vader there because if they were going to use him at the end of the movie him just showing up would be too jarring so they sent him here as an introduction and i don't think this really serves vader more aside from the fact that we get to see his castle which was hinted at since the days of yore and uh, i i loved it i loved seeing the castle on my first viewing when i when i saw the lava and then Krennic shuttle pulling up to a castle i'm saying oh fucking shit no way they're showing vader's castle and i was like you know i was doing the the shuffle in my seat i was really i was doing a happy dance so it was pretty good. I loved the interior design of it too. I loved how the gates open up and Darth Vader runs through, you know, walks through all the smoke. I thought the body language was definitely there. Completely fine. I just, you know, I just feel that 
he was a bit too bulky, whether it was the guy playing him mm. or the shoulder pads. I thought maybe he was about to, you know, uh, go play some football. My cousin joked that Vader's been injecting during this time. <laughs> <laughs> he got Sly to give him some of that sweet HGH. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's taking some HGH or horse tranquilizer or whatever maybe gets that's him what out. was in the back to tank. He's it actually just, <laughs> that's what's in the back to tank. But I love the back to tank scene. You know, um, I know we mentioned it briefly, but I thought that scene was... Awesome. And as much as everyone, you know, harps on the guy, I think this could have been a cool opportunity for Hayden to come in there and and do something. I agree. I I think I I would be completely open for that. You know, I think that would have been a great scene if if they had Hayden there and they lingered on it a little bit more. And and that was that was awesome. I Um, agree. Yeah, I agree. I bet it was maybe talked about. You know, but it might have just been too much of a landmine that they're like, you know, we don't want to go there because they don't know how the fans are going to react. But if he had no dialogue, if he's just sitting there on a respirator or whatever, that would be fine. No, I I, I agree. And I I think it would would have been a nice a nice nod to have him in there but i bet there's a conversations like maybe we shouldn't even touch it well it's also a money thing too right from the studio's perspective whether they don't want hayden there for the backlash or you know you get the actor who played him they'll have to pay him more money than just some guy sitting there some no neighbor right so he doesn't get he doesn't get paid very much <laughs> I'm, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know if he commands that the kind of. I mean, and it is Disney. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure, Disney can afford Christian Haydenson for one scene. <laughs> it's Christian Haydenson. I, I love. He doesn't even get what to respect. <laughs> Christian Haydenson. <laughs> it's Hayden Christensen, but that's okay. Fuck him and his. Oh, name. Hayden Christian. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Christian Haydenson. That's his name from now on. We have decided. <laughs> he may now come back to Star Wars. You are now Hayden or Christian. <laughs> Or they could have gotten Jake Lloyd. He's old enough now. Yeah, you know, that would have been awesome. Jake Lloyd. (laughs) Everyone's expecting Hayden Christensen. It's Jake Lloyd. They break him out of rehab or wherever he's in right now. Make that one appearance. And it could have been Hayden Christensen's head. We don't know. No, it's Lloyd Jake now. Sorry, it's Lloyd Jake now. (laughs) (laughs) I guess maybe I'll just finish while Jeff's gone. I can just continue with my comments just on this part. What I also liked here was I liked... Krennic here too, because you get to see that at this point, he's pretty desperate. You know, he realizes that he's not getting any favoritism from Tarkin, and he can kind of see where this is going. And you know what? In the end, it kind of makes Krennic a bit more of a sympathetic character, because as I mentioned before, he kind of relatable in a sense, even though he's a bad guy, he can't get no respect. He's like Rodney Dangerfield. He's got no respect. So. <laughs> It's 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 kind of funny that actually I would almost argue that he best developed character of the whole movie, whereas all the uh, all the good guys, all the protagonists are not that well developed, which is sort of an odd like usually it's almost the other way around where the bad guy is, you know, just a stand in for just evil, I guess. But you're right. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So I think that's just again, it just keeps. It develops again the dynamic that'll come into play later with Tarkin and how Tarkin just takes over the Death Star once it's completely operational. And it's you can see some of the inner politics here that are coming in with the Empire. And it's just it's kind of like your office day environment. And it's like, I enjoyed these scenes. So after Vader's castle, we head back with the heroes back to the Yavin base. And then we start to have these meetings around the round table there. Jin explaining to Mon Mothma and the rest of the Alliance about uh, the plans of the Death Star and about her father and how he built in a trap and they need to steal the plans to really understand how to destroy the station. The interesting part here is you get some initial hesitation from the Alliance 
there are different factions in the alliance, some people voting to side with her, some people voting saying, no, the alliance is finished, we're giving up. This was an interesting take. So I just wanted to talk quickly about these scenes here, where they're back here. And then you get Jin's speech about trying to, you know, convince them to go about hope and everything like that. And it still doesn't even convince Mon Mothma. And then Cassian finds a group of people who believe her. And then you get your dirty dozen or dirty two dozen or whatever it is. And then they head off to Scarif. So before they go to Scarif, how about all these scenes back at Yavin base? Well, I like the idea of Alliance leaders, like everybody's afraid. They've seen the demonstration of the Death Star and it, it did exactly what it was meant to do, which is terrorize everybody. And it seems to have worked. Everybody's sort of scared into submission now. Nobody wants to to continue to fight or not everybody anyway. So there's some division. So that concept was, was good. I like that they worked that in there. The scene didn't work all that well for me. It reminded me of that scene in the matrix reloaded where, you know, there's the fighting amongst the council. Like, should we go fight the bad guys or not? And it's like, yeah, you gotta go fight the fucking bad guys. Like what kind of rebels are you? You know, like you're already up against, you know, a measure odds so it didn't quite play off all that well and Jin's dialogue here bothered me with that this is where she speaks that line I think right rebellions are built on hope which is yeah. super cheesy and really didn't like that that line bugged me in the trailers I hoped we were going to lose it and they didn't but the fact that they you know you've got the rebellion within the rebellion now there's just this one group they're like we got to go get this done and you know I like that take on it but they you know that they're going to go and do it and you, you know you increase it get the feeling that this could be a one-way mission so so you know that was that was kind of i'm curious about the the alliance's command structure because when mon Mothma says that they need to have complete consensus in order to perform this mission you don't get a sense of like who the actual leader is right because there should be a point where like in any meeting that you have like people provide their input and like is it a majority vote or what and so not seeing the rebels be able to come to a decision kind of shows i don't want to say lack of a backbone but their lack of faith in this individual saying that there is a weakness and for them to capitulate versus actually putting forth some type of offensive to go on this perhaps loose lead or, or false lead that there is a um, a weakness in the death star i don't know i, I would have liked to have seen them come to the decision uh, and for them just to say like we're going to surrender basically all hope is gone i thought it was more of a plot point versus an expansion of the inner turmoil is turmoil within the rebel alliance so i, I didn't like it uh, jeff's comments in regards to her speech yep yeah, ended up one of those corny speeches that they unfortunately kept in the movie i don't know i wasn't a big fan of the sequence i did like the sequence other than her speech i didn't care for that i i did like cassian's speech for the most part i think it could have been maybe a little bit better but i really like this idea of this infighting now with the rebels and jeff Gro brought it up where it's like yeah they're now cowed and like they're afraid of the death star as they should be and the other thing that i thought was a neat idea was that no one actually believed them that galen had built in this uh this weakness no one really believed that so that, that was kind of part of their opposition like well we're not going to go bother getting the plans yeah because we don't um, trust the you you could not be telling the truth because your dad's uh works for the imperials and you could be a sympathizer yeah exactly yeah. and so that was also the thing that I thought was then why, even though I think the scene just on its own kind of works, it doesn't 
really fit in with the fact that her father has just been killed instantly by and she's now learned that you know they were going to go there and assassinate him anyways and so now she's totally on board with the rebels in the grand scheme of things for the movie it's uh, it's a maybe a little weird i kind of wonder if, if this is kind of we haven't really talked about the fact that this movie underwent major reshoots so i don't know if this is an unfortunate casualty of the reshoots and the rewrite of the the film because now we're kind of hitting the third act and i believe this is where the reshoots and the rework of the movie is at the third act i wish they had done more with the leaders of the alliance but i did i did like this interplay of, of like we're all fucked we can't figure out how we're gonna get our I partially agree with you guys here. I think with a little bit of reworking of the dialogue and maybe with the development of the Rebel Alliance leaders, like I had no problem with Jin's speech. I liked it. But what, and I like the fact that, you know, there are factions of the Alliance that are just worried because they should be terrorized of the Death Star as we talked about and then not necessarily trusting the source of the information. So they're hesitant. So this is all real stuff that I can see happening and I'd love these scenes. However, what I think could have worked better here even you could still show the hesitation between all the different leaders of the alliance or sub-leaders or whoever they are but then Mon Mothma makes a decision still and says you know believes her she's the leader of the rebel alliance as you know I believe that's the case and she says we still need to do this and I need volunteers and I think that's where you might have had a bit of a stronger situation you know even though you're kind of you know raping the scene in return of the jedi where you have the volunteers go there you see han chewie leia and luke come in saying i'm with you too but i think you could have done it here on a little bit more of a serious note and say Jin says i need help and then cassian comes in with a group of people says i'll volunteer i'll help you i believe you you even have k2so even saying the same joke later or you you could have chirrut and maz and whoever else and a bunch of other no-name infantry people all raise their hand saying they're gonna go i think that could have been a bigger payoff at this moment here and then that's just the plan they're gonna go they don't need to sneak off and once they're inside then the rebels will come and create a diversion and it's all planned that way i think that would have been a bit better but i'm not sure if then you're just replicating return of the jedi but i think structurally that makes a more satisfying payoff but it is interesting but i think it's not as strong as it needed to be yeah i think you're right yeah it's not as strong as it needed to be uh, and i think we needed mon mothma to to step up here and and say like we're we're doing this thing yeah I, that's what that was what was needed here. So anyone else have any yeah, comments I, here? I like sort of how uh, the way you would want to see it play out, even though, yeah, it might've just been a bit of a play on, on return of the Jedi, but I think to kind of get us to connect the scene of moving into the final sequence of the movie, I think it would have been a lot cleaner and we could have just gotten through it faster. And as opposed to this scene, which I mean, is a, a little bit clunky. Never that I say it, but I prefer Harry's version. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, it's bound to happen. Anyway, so um, let's now we go into the third act of the movie and there's a lot to digest here. So I don't want to break it out scene by scene. Let's just talk about all of Scarif, their infiltration, the land battle, the infantry, infantry battle, the characters who die or survive or whoever you want to talk about. All the way up to prior to we see the man in black come into play here. So let's talk about all of this, including, you know, Krennic and his appearances here and what he's doing. So let's go. Lots to discuss. Nathan, please start. Well, I keep bringing up Krennic. He's just the standout character of this whole movie. And I kind of like seeing him unravel 
a little bit when the operation goes down. Overall, like this, this sequence I think is is really strong. I had a couple of problems. It felt very video game ish when they're trying to get the disc out. I thought like who like <laughs> who came up with this system? And it, for some reason, it just irked me seeing this. It felt so artificial. Uh, this artificial obstacle to put them in their way. The um, uh, K2S to show up. Oh, geez. I mean, that would have been perfect. I, I mean, they should have only, they almost should have just done that. But it felt like an artificial obstacle they they put in there to heighten the tension of because I thought all the, the stuff with K2SO at this point was really strong. And I did like the, the beach battle. One thing I did not like were the no name soldiers. They looked like they were beamed up or transported there directly from Vietnam, from the Vietnam War. At one point, I felt like one of them should have been wearing a, a necklace of, of ears that he'd cut off of stormtroopers. <laughs> it was such a, it was such an obvious look for some of these soldiers. But and he I says, mean, it's "I'm a, all it's ears." A minor he makes oh a yeah, joke. I'm all ears. <laughs> oh yeah, that would have been great. But I, I think I, I did like this, and it was really cool. The tension of like, okay, we can get in. We've got to kind of get out, and then the the shield ship that hovers over the planet, and and the the the, uh, the space battle space battle i thought was great you know we have some some cool cameos from gold leader and red leader uh, we see what happened to the previous red five before uh, luke took on that call name and as a piece of action that guy was an great. incompetent that guy was an incompetent fuck it's like it looked like he couldn't even which guy the red the, the oh, red five yeah right he's like yeah, I, can't, yeah. I can't even fly like he was just i don't know what the fuck's going on <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's why he's not Red 5 anymore. Oh, man. Yeah. That was embarrassing. I, I am disappointed we didn't see Porkins. I think I, everyone's I, saying, where's the fuck is Biggs? Where's Wedge? Where's Porkins? That's, yeah, that's the biggest yeah. thing I'm hearing about. It's like, I mean, I love the throwbacks, but I don't think I needed to see all those characters. Well, I, I could see why Biggs wouldn't be. Because I like maybe, ah, it doesn't matter. But anyways, I mean, this is probably one of my favorite action sequences of any Star Wars movie. And it really reminded me a lot of Return of the Jedi. Because that the, the way they would cut between the land battle and the space battle in Return of the Jedi was really good. And I thought they did a really good job with that here. The way everyone dies... Or, or not everyone up to this point. Um, well, yeah, no, I guess everyone. There's no emotion there for me because I didn't feel a huge connection to these characters. I don't feel they're really all that. Didn't I didn't feel connected to them. I don't think that they were flushed out enough for me to care when they die. A lot of people die by grenades in this movie too. <laughs> well, that's yeah. well, that's like okay. That's okay. It's a war. You know, we don't see a lot of grenades in Star Wars prior to this movie. You see, no, like that's a, true. I just see a flash of a thermal detonator, but that's about it. I know, but it just seemed odd that there was just a lot of deaths by grenades. I mean, I guess, I mean, yes, you're right. It's a war, but yeah. So, I mean, everyone's death, not. I don't know. Didn't connect with it. I did also find it odd that like this was also the part where and I already brought up the, the reshoots where I really noticed a difference in these sequences versus yes. what was in the first trailer. Yeah, because they're running like, towards that. Uh, you even see Jin running towards an Imperial Walker on the beach. Yeah, that and also they're here. also running through that subway area and she's got the plans with her that like it looked like a hard drive. Well, like, that's that what you she takes. It. That's what she well, takes yeah. initially. Is a that's hard what drive. she takes. She's running away with it. Yeah. And there's also like another scene from the trailer with Krennic on, on that beach as well. So again, like, I mean, this this third act obviously changed quite a bit from what was initially shot to what the final product was. And I, but I think the final product was, 
was really solid. Wow. Uh, last third, this it's a lot to talk about. Yeah, just um, just, go, just go, just go, just go. Space battle, space battle. I'm just gonna say space battle for me. Like I missed this tremendously in the Force Awakens, and the way they do the space battle. I'm glad Nathan brought up the swap between like the ground battle and the space battle. It was unbelievable how they did this. And so seeing a proper space battle with modern CGI was just spectacular, and I love the cut-ins to all the various characters from A New Hope in terms of the pilots. Like I thought that was done very seamlessly. And for those, it was a great fan service for those who were who were familiar with the, the trilogy more so than like just casual fans. I love the sequence. I thought the the plot device that they used in order to make it look like Cassian was dead, like them having to climb up to to remove this hard drive was a, a little over the top. But it actually had also the one part from the, the trailer that I wish that they had kept in the movie was seeing that TIE fighter. Like when you see Jim like coming out to the, that one console and in the trailer, you see this TIE fighter just pop up. I wish they had kept that. I thought that was one of the coolest parts of the trailers that had been released. I read an article where they said, do you remember how Maz does the rocket launcher and you see the, the flinch on the AT-AT? And he's about to yeah. come back, and then the the X-wing shoots him down. In the original cut of the movie, they replicate that scene again. Tie fighter comes up, but an X-wing just shoots it away. That was it. So they said, "Oh, we're doing it twice." So we, they just removed it. Oh, okay. So unfortunately, I, there's I, nothing special. I still away. thought it would have been cool. I, I really just liked this uh, the third act of this movie. I thought it was very well done. I know we're going to be talking about it quite a bit, so I'll leave it at that. Well, well, no, no, because this is all this is all of it. So how about the character deaths? K two S O Chira. Maz, you can even talk about now Jin and Kazian and Krennic. They're all there, the ending of everybody there. Like, what are your comments? Did you feel anything uh, for I, these characters? Any good things here, bad things? I thought actually, uh, Cherokee Bay's like the, those deaths were the ones that had the most impact. Like Jin, Cassian, going into this movie, you pretty much knew everyone was going to die. It was a matter of how they were going to die, and it didn't have as much of a, an emotional impact as I felt with Chariot and Baze. And like him, with Chariot seeing his friend go out there, like screaming at him not to go, and Baze saying, I'm one of the force, and the force is with me. Like that was a really powerful moment. And then Chariot basically going on a suicide mission, just trying to kill as many stormtroopers as he possibly could. I thought those were the most impactful deaths in this whole sequence. I wish they had more when it came to some of the other deaths, but I still thought that the way that they did it, knowing that everyone was going to die coming into this movie, was, was still very well done. The space battle I thought was awesome. That was a highlight of the film for me. I really like that one shot where they're racing to get into the shield, under the shield, and those last couple X-Wings don't make it, and they kind of like skid on the surface of the shield like they just hit. It was kind of like they hit like a frozen lake or something and were skidding across the surface. So that was a really, really cool visual. I was somewhat disappointed by the ground battle. Some of the really cool shots, as Nathan alluded to, some of the really cool shots from the original teaser didn't make it. My favorite one in particular, where we're kind of running along the beach with the rebel soldiers and we pan up to see the Imperial walkers shooting kind of right into the camera. I think that was the closing shot of the original teaser and that and didn't make Jin. it into the final cut. And that's yeah, Jin and Cassian exactly. running with, with all the other soldiers. Yeah. So that was too bad that something like that didn't, didn't make it in. The character deaths, I felt I didn't connect to these characters. So them dying didn't have an emotional impact for me. And that's a real shame because, you know, we have been treated to that type of brutality in in star wars before I, I should have felt something when all of the main characters bite it at the end here and they, you know they'll kind of get their hero moment before you know, where they can sacrifice themselves to the cause 
which is fine. You know, I, I thought the battle was lacking. I, I mean, it must have been a casualty of the reshoots because it didn't feel as grandiose as the other battles that we were treated to here. So, you know, that's too bad for the climax of the film. I mean, Scarif looked awesome. Great setting. It's just the, the battle didn't do it. How about you know, Krennic? As far as... Well, how about Krennic's death? His, well, po- you know, like... poetic justice, I suppose. He yeah. dies at the hands of the Death Star, which was appropriate. Yeah, because so like I, Tarkin, know, that was the one that, but... Tarkin realizes, he says, well, where's Krennic? Oh, he's on the surface, sir. And he yeah. goes, oh, oh, okay, fire, you may fire when ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Can we, so... can we get a single reactor laser burst down there? Well, no, that's exactly uh, what happened. Because I yeah, don't think he exactly was, that what probably wasn't his plan to blow up the whole base. So it's like, Krennic's down there? Okay, that's it. Go. Yeah. Just, just yeah. do it. Oh, the rebels are down there too. Yeah, yeah. We want to, we want to kill them too. Yeah. No, yeah, but totally. I, thought, I think that's a little interesting wrinkle in this whole thing is yeah. that interplay between Tark, that power struggle between Tarkin and Krennic here. Yeah, that was really good. Because Tarkin says, "Well, I will alert the Emperor of its success because I'm the one that mentioned something about this idea." To the Emperor, even though it was those fucking Geonosians who Dooku yeah, got the yeah. plants from. So I don't think, you know, I'm pretty sure the Emperor knows a little bit more. But anyways, that's just... That's well, just you, well, yeah, you'd think the Emperor might be a little more in tune with what's going on. But yeah, Tarkin's like, well, I was I was totally standing on the bridge of that Star Destroyer when we were watching this thing get built 20 years ago. So yeah, <laughs> that's just, yeah, fuck you and, the, and all the horses you rode in on. Zap. That was cool. And again, we get to see the uh, the destructive power of the Death Star again which was awesome and i I mean the final moments with Jin and cassian yeah i I don't know i mean i was i was shocked that they killed every single character i think harry you you weren't surprised that you said you weren't surprised and andrew you said you had expected that i i I expected there to be casualties but i didn't think everybody was going to get killed and i'm not sure that i agree with that choice that's okay i guess that they all died it's fine Hmm. i partially agree with you guys i you know it's kind of funny even though i love most of the visuals here, I think everything on Scarif was probably my least favorite parts of the movie. I love everything before, and it's kind of funny. I see fandoms, like the internet fandom and Star Wars fandoms reverse. They say, well, the beginning is too choppy, but that's where I find more of the interesting character dynamics are happening. And I'm getting to know these characters, and everything here is a bit rushed. And, bec- and you know, even though I'm praising the earlier parts of the film, there still isn't enough of character development on these characters. Probably because there are too many characters that they try and make. Like you have the A, A plus and the A in Jin and Kazian, but then you have the A minus characters that are trying to make them A minus characters with Chirrut and Maz and K2SO. But really, I feel maybe Chirrut and Maz especially and Bodhi should not have been here in this movie. We didn't even talk about Bodhi and I think his scenes were the worst in, the, in this uh, section here. It's nice to see... The brown man trying to help out. Of course, he's got to be the engineer, the dark guy. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> but that's all they're good for. You know, he didn't even shoot anybody or did anything, but that, that's okay. We can, you know, drag a wire and connect it. So <laughs> no problem. One day we'll get love in the Star Wars universe. There will be a brown man who will be a Jedi one day. He'll be one of those support Jedi in the back ranks, still probably wiring together some <laughs> force fields or something. You know, they won't like even give him that. Technically, but. They won't even give him that. He's just going to be taking the coffee orders for the day. All right, what do you guys want? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm heading down. I'll grab it. Blue milk? Okay, you got it. Yeah. 
<laughs> on a more serious note, yeah, this, even though the visuals were amazing, uh, I liked aspects of the space battle, as you guys agreed. I loved the inclusion of the Red Squadron, Gold Squadron leaders there. I loved certain shots of the space battle, but you're not really feeling a big connection of what's going up there. So for me, it was kind of, if you don't have one of the main characters involved in that battle, I don't really care about it too much. It was nice to see. I'm glad they did it. It just didn't do a lot for me. The ground battle I liked a little bit more. I liked seeing a lot of the infantry troops. I liked seeing some of those alien creatures there. And, you know, they re- I love the one alien guy who's like one of those wide mouth guys. And they see, sees the, Imper- uh, the Imperial Walker approach him and he goes, <laughs> like, I, I, I was laughing. I love that. I needed more of that. And I thought that would have been funny. And you have the other guy who's the gunner on the ship. And you know, one thing I didn't like, though, I don't know if you guys noticed this, man, those fucking walkers were taken down pretty easily, you know, blowing apart. Yeah, what was that about? I mean, in fact, there's like very little threat from those walkers, it felt like. Yeah, nothing. They didn't even do anything. They just show them walking around and then they just get blown up and the legs are being torn apart. And I'm figuring, well, if you guys have this tech already and these guys are nothing why didn't you have the proper proper weaponry on hoth it's a big contrast to empire strikes back just in terms of how imposing the, the walker force was disappointing yeah that was a bit disappointing and i think the walkers shouldn't have been taken down as easily and they should have been shown to really just wreck devastation upon all the troops there the stuff inside with Jin Jin and Kazian, i didn't care too much of that while I didn't have any emotional reactions to anybody dying, the one that I kind of felt the worst about was K2SO's moments. I, I like those moments, how he sacrificed himself. I thought that was well done. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of the character, I thought that was good. The stuff on the railings there with Jin and Kazian and Krennic was kind of ho-hum. And, 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 you know, it was kind of even funny, too. We always complain about the villains. They give away the plan to the hero. I, I, I'm doing this, but then Jin says the same thing. She does the opposite. Well, I found a flaw, and now everyone's going to know it. And yeah. what happens if, you know, things didn't work out in their favor? Why would she admit that? I didn't get that. You know, so I, I didn't really like that scene. But I will mention that there are handrails. Yeah. They're on the ledges there. So, you know, Han Solo, sorry. But, I, I uh, guess they fired those. They fired those safety inspectors. They, no, they, too many they handrails. just used a different contractor. They just yeah. used a different contractor. To build no, no. The they sent him to Scarif. They, yeah, the Tarkin <laughs> says, I'm taking credit for all the railers, hand railings. Look at the cost savings measures, Pulpy. I'll just send. <laughs> I'm sending these guys to Scarif. With the rest of the heroes, Chirrut and Maz, I hated these scenes. The Force is with me. I'm one with the Force. And I mean, that's fine. But, you know, you got all these accurate death troopers there shooting and they don't shoot him. And it's one thing if he kind of moved, because if he kind of if he's a guy who's kind of a little bit in tune with the Force or something, but he just walks. They let him walk there. I know they blow the thing up and he dies, but I wasn't a fan of these scenes. And then Maz going on his suicide run there. And I found that this was kind of really one of the worst parts of the movie with very little payoff and emotional weight. Aside from that, I was really wasn't happy. I mean, I like the scene with Jin and Kazian at the end because I like he he says they they know they're gonna die, but he says you know your father would have been proud of you. I like those moments, but I agree that you don't feel much for these characters because they don't. There's too many. It feels like a TNG movie at this point. There's too many characters to service, and I think that's a detriment, and it impacted the the third act. So then, Jets, let's move on to what probably most fanboys love the most. I'll see if you guys love it. So as Tarkin blows up the surface or the base on Scarif, we see that the plans were transmitted. Jin was successful in 
aligning the satellite dish. They get it out to the Alliance ships in, in space outside of Scarif, and they're, as they're escaping, Darth Vader's Star Destroyer just warps in and just crushes some of those ships as he arrives. And he says, "There, you know, they alert him that there's uh, a message that was uh, sent, and he says, prepare a boarding party. And it's kind of weird, because he's just the lone boarding party member. So I don't understand why he said, <laughs> prepare the boarding party. But, oh, wait, I'm go- I'll just do it. So <laughs> I got this, boys. Yeah, I got this, boys. So uh, you see Darth Vader's scene. Jeff, I'll give you the honor of going first. He fucked those guys up big time. I love the use of both the force powers and like that one where he like holds that guy up to the ceiling for a second. And then I don't know if he slams him against the wall after that was cool. And just like, you know, he sucks all their guns out of their hands. And actually, just you know what he do- actually, you know what he does, Jeff, as I noticed this on the second time, the guy mm. he throws up to the ceiling, he's held there as he still cuts down other guys. But as he yeah. passes underneath him, he slices him in half. Oh, sweet. I did not <laughs> notice that. It was pretty awesome. I'll say that. I thought that was a really good depiction of the Darth Vader that we've never really had a chance to to see. So we finally, all these movies, seven, eight movies now, we finally got to see Darth Vader cut loose. So yeah, thumbs up. Oh my God, I love the sequence. For those, I'm not sure if any of you guys do watch Rebels, they've given uh, a few, a couple shows where they show just how much of a badass Vader actually was in the suit. And so to see it on the big screen, and I didn't notice the guy getting cut in half, but I read about it today. I'm thinking like, oh my God, I got to rush out and watch this just because with Vader in the original trilogy, like you don't see it. Like in A New Hope, he's subdued. With Empire Strikes Back, he's kind of holding back on Luke and then Return of the Jedi. He's not a tremendous badass. Like he's he's having a father-son moment, father-son bonding, if you want to put it. So you don't get to see just the merciless killer that Vader is, that he has that massive reputation for. And I just, oh, this was by far the best part of the movie. It just emphasizes just how scared shitless the rebel troopers are when you see the beginning of A New Hope and you see Vader appear. I thought this was a perfect cap. I said before that I was happy with the, the previous scene with Vader, but this just... This was worth the admission alone. When this movie was announced and then later on when they said that Vader would have a small part in it, I remember thinking that, you know, if I don't see Vader kill some fools, I'm going to be real upset. And this this was a real payoff for me. I liked how it had a bit of a horror movie vibe, uh, like not a lot, but a little bit. You know, when they pass the, the disc through the door and the lightsaber comes to the door and then the scene it's still going and yeah i felt yeah this is the the badass vader that you know we all want to see on the big screen i thought it was great and i think again like it, it works really well that it's 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 short and to the point and they're not they're not stretching it out just to give us more vader i'm a bit mixed on this because when i first saw it i actually did not like it and that's kind of surprising because I felt it was a very fanboyish moment that somebody would throw it in here. And I also didn't initially like the way he moved because obviously now you're filmmaking in a different time. And I thought he was way too fluid, fast. His body movement didn't feel right. Felt very like I was watching a fan film. And especially at the end when he's just kind of staring off into space, you know, he's on the ledge about uh, the precipice about to fall off into the vast unknown. And he's just, it's, that's okay. I'm here. It felt fanboyish to me, and on second viewing, I changed my mind. I loved the moment. That wasn't true. He still has that kind of stiff moments, but I think it's more with the hand gestures that I really I really didn't like, you know, the throwing, the pulling up, the pulling down, the pushing to the side, and all that stuff. I think that could have just, a little tweaking there could have been better, but I liked his body movements and his stance 
in the original scene with Krennic, I didn't like the end shot where he's just kind of staring off into space and that felt really out of place. A bit mixed, but mostly I like it. And it felt, I, I agree, it did feel like a little bit of a, a horror movie. And, and I guess you got to pay it off to the fans. So I'm happy yet, you know, I think, I think it could have been a bit better personally. Just that's just from my, maybe I just have too many expectations when it comes to Darth Vader. He has to be perfect or I, I find flaws. So that just might be me. The movie ends then after this with really quickly after the Vader massacre scene here where as Corellian Corvette or whatever that is just storms off and escapes and goes into warp. You see the guy who has the plans and he just gives it to Leia. You see the CGI Leia there and she says, so oh, we have hope or something like that. And then the movie right cuts to credits very abruptly. Well, I mean, that CGI Leia just did not work for me. Uh, you're right. It, it felt it felt kind of abrupt. I felt that way leaving the theater, but then the next day I watched episode four and I felt like, you know, it was like, okay, I understand why they did it that way now. And so if you were to kind of watch them together, they, they kind of fit together nicely. You know, for the millionth time we've heard hope in this movie, they should have just called the movie hope one. <laughs> I'm a little bit mixed. I understand that, that I think you had to end the movie this way. I see, I see why they did it. I see why they did it. And so I, I can live with that. The Leia animation was just, it was not good. I would have been content just seeing just the back of her head. That was about it. But anyways, I still didn't like the whole Leia sequence. However, I did like the fact that it did abruptly end because it's a perfect transition into A New Hope. Like I said that in the theater, like I just want to go home and watch it, which I haven't had a chance to do so. But I thought it was a, a perfect transition into episode four. Well, okay, so the Leia CG, I just need to put in my two cents. It sucked. And the I found it, I did find it too abrupt. And yeah, they kind of needed to end the movie this way simply because of how episode four starts. But that doesn't make it good. You know, that just means they kind of painted themselves into a corner with the movie as a as concept where they're like, okay, well, we got to show step by step by step by step by step exactly how the setup at the start of episode four is. And that does create an odd, it's like a almost an epilogue to Rogue One, right? All of our main characters are dead, they're gone, and then we have this kind of weird sequence. I mean, if it wasn't for episode four, it wouldn't exist. So it doesn't help. Like, we're this is supposed to be the standalone uh, story, right? It's so hooked into the start of episode four that I think that that's a, I mean, I don't know what they would have done differently, but I don't think that they should have done it the way that they did. Uh, that ties it, almost ties it in too much. And I think that's a, a weakness from the filmmakers here. Yeah, I agree. I don't know what else they could have done, but as you mentioned, Jeff, I think they painted themselves into a corner and, you know, they're two hours plus already. So they're saying, okay, let's just end it here. We'll show them Leia getting the plans. And then, you know, that's all folks. Let's just quickly talk about the characters and their motivations because the movie is done now. Like, who was your favorite? Did what worked? What didn't work for you? Is there any nuance here? And how about the acting? So I thought Saw Gerrera was the most interesting character, and Force Whitaker gave the the best performance. I, I like Jin. Jin Erso was a fine character, and uh, Felicity Jones's performance was certainly good. But other than that, other than uh, Krennic was fantastic. Ben Mendelsohn was also excellent, and that's kind of it. Everybody else, man, I. 
I could have done without everybody. You kind of already said it here in the third act. It was, it's yeah, it's like a, a Star Trek movie. We've got seven characters, and we got to give everybody their due. But because you got seven characters, you don't really end up being able to give anybody their due because they're not they're not good characters. They weren't well fleshed out. They didn't connect me to to anything. They were just rebel soldiers, uh, one dimensional, and that that's a real problem for me because uh, you know if you don't have good characters in your story, you have a hard time making that story work work well. So. You know, you can't really speak to their performances. They all did fine with what they were given, but they weren't given they weren't given much. You know, that's a real shame. I thought the acting was great in terms of the characters, but Jeff hit it in that like they didn't give enough of a backstory for us to like really truly care. Like for when I said that you knew everyone was gonna die, like even though you knew everyone was gonna die, you still wanted to have that true emotional connection. And I felt like I came out of the movie like, yeah, I did really like the movie, but I wanted more in terms of understanding these characters and their motivations. And the person that you come out with liking, quote unquote, liking the most or having the most development is Krennic, bad guy. You would hope that would actually be the, the rebels. And I think it's just that desire to want to know more about their backstory, but there wasn't enough time. Like, had they developed them through, like, rebels or clone wars or through something else, it would have had more of an impact. But unfortunately, it didn't. And I think it's just the nature of the, the standalone movie in itself. But I love how you guys have brought up The Next Generation. This, it was just, it was too much in such a short amount of time. Yeah, I mean, I thought all the actors were fine. I I think Ben Mendelsohn was the real standout in this movie. Forrest Whitaker was great too. We just didn't get enough of him, but I think Mendelsohn was the best. I like the idea of all these characters, except maybe Baz there. I mean, we know nothing about him. Cheer, you know, an interesting idea, but I, I like the idea of who Jin Erso is. I like the idea of what Cassian is, but they don't develop any of this for us. So, so it's like, well, and who who cares, right? And I think that's a real negative of this of this movie. That was not the fault of any of the uh, any of the particular actors. I think that they all did really well for what they were given. Yeah, I agree. I liked these characters felt a bit more grounded than some of the characters and that we got in The Force Awakens because I, I think that they didn't over-emote. And I, I felt that that's what I was getting. Everybody was on a constant high, like emotional high at all times in A Force Awakens. Here it felt a little bit more grounded, nuanced, dirty. And I liked that a, a lot more. But I agree because you have too many characters to service here. Everybody suffers including Jin and Kazian. The only guy who does not suffer is Krennic because the bad guy shouldn't get so much more screen time. I think that was the perfect amount that he got. He was, you know, there all the time, but not there. I loved his interplay between him and Tarkin and, and the him and the Vader. And he got his, you know, poetic justice, as you mentioned, Jeff, at the end. And I thought that was one of the more interesting threads of the movie. I liked Felicity Jones and Diego Luna the most. The rest of the characters, I didn't like a lot. Uh, Chirrut and Maz, they're throwaway characters for me. I think there's a nugget of an idea with Chirrut being, before, you know, whether he's Force-sensitive or not, and these Keeper the Wills... Uh, I think that's something to be explored, you know, an, another story for another time. Here, I think they just negatively impact the movie. K2SO, I found him grading on me for half the time and the other half I loved. He had a couple of good jokes that I genuinely laughed at. And I loved his death scene. His death was the was the best one out of the bunch. But I wish we got more. And I think because too many characters, Jin and Kazian needed more development for her to be a stronger character because she doesn't have other movies to go on to. And that's a shame because I thought she and Cassian are both very interesting characters. I like the concept of these characters more than any of the characters we got in The Force Awakens. But the unfortunate reality is is their development isn't enough like the characters 
God on The Force Awakens. So that's a shame. How about thematically, guys? There's some interesting themes here with the Alliance that we're getting. The world isn't as black and white as it was pictured in the original trilogy, especially with the Rebels, as I mentioned. Any comments here on that or any other themes that we're presenting because it is a war movie? People die, things happen. You know, we have military decisions that are impacting people's lives here. Are they trying to say anything here? Was Gareth Edwards saying, I want to make this a war movie and I want to be different? Why? I think like at even a higher level than, than just that. I think this movie for Lucasfilm and Disney is an experiment to see if they different things with the Star Wars universe. Because if they do have to stick to this idea of, of just these epic battles between good and evil, they're not going to have a lot to work with if they want to do spinoff movies. And it works well for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, the way, you know, Ant-Man is a little bit different, the way Winter Soldier is a little bit different. And so, but it, it presents sort of a, a unique, actually maybe almost like a problem to introduce this world of greys into a black and white universe like Star Wars. But I think overall, like thematically, it works to sort of show this, this gritty nature of what the Alliance has to do to win, to try and win against the Empire, which, I mean, they are so, uh, I mean, the, the power dynamic, the rebels don't have the, the military might. So, of course, you know, the strike from the shadows idea removes sort of this romantic nature of what the rebels are kind of fighting for, which I think is a neat idea. I'm, I'm not, I haven't really, guess, form, fully formed my opinion on whether or not that works or whether or not it's good for Star Wars. At this point, I'm going to say it's like a, an experiment that so far has worked well. Sorry, has worked well? Has worked well as to whether or not it's good for Star Wars overall. I'm not I'm not sure. It's very nebulous with me right now. I am still have mixed feelings about it. I like the, the change of tone. What I think it's just for this movie. I compare it kind of to how like DS9 was in comparison to The Next Generation where the next generation is this beautiful look at the future that most people get along with. DS9 shows the gritty reality of conflict and that uh, behind this perfect exterior, there's also a lot of questionable actions that go on. I did like how they completely changed the pace of this particular movie for the standalone. I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case with the trilogy movies moving forward. And so I like that that change in tone and, and showing more of the, the gritty aspects of war. I don't think they necessarily need to keep it for, for future installments. But even though I, I did really enjoy this movie and, and the tone shift, I'm still nervous for these standalones just because of the choice of the subjects for the, the, the next one. But I, I did think it was a, a necessary change that explored the, the inner workings of what goes on with two sides and, and conflict. But at the same time, I'm also looking forward to getting back to the, the trilogy with upsetting. Yeah, I think it was a smart move to take a bit of a, a shift thematically. Uh, here where it's not we got to you know do whatever it takes that opens the sandbox up a little bit you know i didn't think about how that would impact the star wars universe at a greater level like nathan kind of alluded to you know is this going to be good for star wars to uh, to have that open to to us now where it, it is a bit grayer maybe it's good maybe it's not it at least gives them somewhere else to go which i think is may ultimately prove to be a good thing i thought thematically the film worked very well it didn't muddle its messages you know just military decisions had to be made people had to do things that they might not have otherwise, uh, in, you know, in order for the cause. So that was all good. I thought that all worked very well. You know, sometimes that the war part of Star Wars is is kind of underneath. I'll give them, I'll give them a, a thumbs up to that. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I like the fact that they're taking a chance. As we talked about, uh, use the word experimentation. You can't just do the same thing every time. And I think I remember hearing on some kind of video interview with Gareth Edwards saying, well, if you're not br- do- bringing anything new to the table, then why bother? So I like the direction that they went here thematically. It all works. I love the gray tones. Tonally, it's here. I liked how the characters were a little bit, you know, nuanced. There were some layers here. Are you know, they're willing to do whatever it takes to win the battle, and that reflects. Uh, I don't think Gareth Edwards is necessarily making a commentary on U.S. politics or anything like that. It's just the nature of war. Each side does bad things to in order to win. And that's just the reality of the situation. You know, a lot of people, a lot of older Star Wars fans would probably say what it might gravitate towards a movie like this because they're going to say this is a movie for adults, not for kids. And I can see that here because this is really not a movie, you know, even though kids are going to be seeing this for sure, but it's really not meant for them. This is meant, this is geared towards more of a more mature audience here. So I liked that, but you know, the problems with this movie are more with the characters themselves in order to make it work. But before we finish off here and get our final thoughts, let's just two final points I wanted to bring up here. The direction in combination with the writing and the dialogue and the musical score. So let's talk about this here. So Jeff, please start us off. Yeah, sure. I'll start with the score because I was very happy with the score. And that's after being you know, somewhat disappointed with the score for The Force Awakens, which was serviceable but didn't stand out. This was very effective because you know we had a lot of the familiar Star Wars themes and it sounded like a Star Wars film, but it also sounded like its own entity. You know, sometimes... You'll watch like a sequel. The music, like the, the composer is different for the sequel, but it, but not as good as, as the original composer. So you'll get a lot of the same themes, but the score just doesn't work as when it veers off of the original music. It sounds like shit. I'm trying to think of any at uh, some of the Harry Potter movies because John Williams did the first one and that was it. So everything else is the other seven Harry Potter movies just sound like some guy trying to be John Williams and can't pull it off. This Michael Giacchino, I think, is that is the guy's name. I thought he did an excellent job of taking the Star Wars themes and making something that is its own. So excellent job on the score direction in the hands of Gareth Edwards. This film looked fantastic. It was well shot. It looked again, it looked like Star Wars, and yet it was its own. It was its own animal, and I thought he did a terrific job of that. We talked about how well he uh, uh, portrays the scale and the scope of the universe and uh, did a great job of getting us into the trenches in a few moments there as far as direction to the actors go and that's hard to say we can you know see again to the writing a little bit the dialogue was perfectly serviceable but nothing more than that and maybe in the hands of a brilliant screenwriter who was somehow able to flesh out characters with only a few lines and limited screen time, you know, maybe we needed a longer film here. I hate to say it, but maybe we did. Uh, again, everything, you know, the writing is is was serviceable. It was a tight story, so it was a well-written plot. You know, I can't think of anything that didn't make sense or any logic problems from a dialogue perspective. You know, it just did it it didn't it didn't amaze. I'm glad Jeff brought up the music because I, I said to one of my friends, like that was actually the one that was actually at the end credits when you see music by and you just expect John Williams to appear, you know, Michael Giacchino. And knowing how Michael Giacchino has scored some other movies like the, the Star Trek movie with the, the rebooted Star Trek movie, also a couple of Disney movies, I thought he did an amazing job of blending the music in with what we're expecting from the John Williams. And so he came out of that thinking, like, if it had been John Williams, you wouldn't have been surprised. So that was a, a really nice compliment to the movie. I really enjoyed that. 
that it gives hope for eight and nine. We all love John Williams to death. He's not getting any younger. But if, for example, we unfortunately were to lose John Williams, the trilogy, the music would be in good hands. And so I really liked how it benefited the movie. I'm really curious to hear about what actually happened with the reshoots. Because the direction, like we talked about, Gareth Edwards' ability to convey the scope, I thought that was great. But it'd be interesting to see what his vision was initially versus what actually happened. Because I had heard that the movie that was initially heard right on the internet, that the movie was a lot darker than it ended up being. So I, I think that would have been a, a better representation of what Gareth Edwards had wanted to convey through the movie had we seen that original cut. And hopefully with the special edition that gets released over a period, you know, like the fourth special edition that gets released, maybe we'll see an ultimate cut of the movie. But I thought the actors were great. I thought the director did the best job that he probably could with them, but it wasn't anything that was spectacular that completely changed the game of filmmaking. Uh, well, you know, for a novice director, I think Edwards did a really good job. Uh, you know, to be given a Star Wars movie as like, you know, effectively your your third movie of your of your professional career. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. And so I think he did a really great job. And yeah, the, the dialogue is is just serviceable. I think that could have used a little bit more work. Probably a lot of the reshoots just had more to do with, yeah, light, uh, maybe a lighter tone. Like maybe he went. Yeah, I read that rumor as well like it was just too dark disney didn't like that the one thing i would say about the score is i don't remember really the score at all and i think maybe that's a good thing because i don't think a traditional star wars score would have worked for this movie it wasn't like like the star wars action music that you would normally get i just like the more subdued type of score that we got here and i guess he only had like four weeks to to work on the score so i think it was just fine for what it was supposed to do i agree i think the score was serviceable and he only had four weeks to to do it so the considering that timeline uh, and that time frame i think that he did a, a very good job here you know he could have gone you know full imperial march here and there and stuff like that and he didn't do that he was restrained i got hints of Jin's theme i think that could have been a bit more pronounced and there was for some odd reason, Chirrut gets a theme, you know, for such a, you know, B character. They give him a theme, which was a bit of an odd choice, but that that's okay. I think for the most part, most of the action scenes are serviceable, but the, serviceable, but there was nothing here that was memorable. Because, you know, he is no John Williams. There is nobody who will be John Williams, but it was far from a bad score. And I, I'm not going to rip the guy for having such a short time on it. I would have loved to have seen what Alexander Desplat would have provided here, but for some reason, and he left the project. The direction, Gareth Edwards, he did a good job, again, with the reshoots here. I don't know how it impacts it. I think I would have preferred to see that darker vision just because then, you know, you're really going off in that tangent that's really different, and I think that's a good thing for the franchise because if they wanted to go a little bit more humorous here, and if they started to just throw in more K2SO jokes, I didn't think they worked. So I was kind of disappointed. And some of the scenes cut from the trailers left me wanting because they looked, the scale of some of those shots just looked so beautiful. I think we could have had a, maybe a bit more of an interesting movie here. The dialogue, you know, it is Star Wars, but uh, leaves a, a little bit to be desired. I was a bit disappointed. I thought they could have reworked some of some of the dialogue here, but to make it a little bit more tight and more funny when they needed to be. But it was a mixed bag on the dialogue. That's just me. So, gentlemen, anyone else want to bring up anything before we get into our recommendations? There is one thing that we start when we talked about and I brought up like is it is this a good for Star Wars to go a different tone kind of reminded a little bit of the new Star Trek 
Trek reboot. And actually just even the shows of the past where they change tone over time. And I would kind of argue that the tone change of the new Star Trek movies maybe hasn't worked out so well. So that's just one thing that, you know, to kind of think about going forward with like changing. I mean, I'm all for changing it, but, you know, we just have to make sure it's like in the right direction. Well, we as though I have anything to do about it, but, you know, kind of keep that in mind. I hope they do keep that in mind going forward with the uh, anthology movies. Any further comments? No, I'm good. I'm damn fine. Okay, guys. So this is it. Your final recommendations, guys. I absolutely recommend it. I don't know if I would classify it as a rare antiquity. I mean, I think it will certainly be remembered for the first experiment for the Star Wars universe, but it's kind of hard to say at this point, but I I think it won't really go down as, as a rare antiquity. Now, how about a ranking then? Where does this sit with you? Oh, a ranking? In terms of the all the, all the Star Wars movies. I like it more than any of the prequels. I don't think I like it more than what we have for episodes four through four, five, six, and seven. Mm-hmm. So I would sort of kind of place it like maybe sort of in between in the in the two. And it's a low bar to clear though with episode two for me. So I mean, it's all, always going to be above that. <laughs> so how about with respect to the re- more most recent movie, Force Awakens? Would you? I seem to recall you had said you know Force Awakens is just below in between the prequels and the originals. So where does this compare to that? I think it's pretty much on the same level i mean again like I've, I've watched force awakens a bunch of times now i've only seen rogue one once so this may change but i think i think actually i might like force awakens just a little bit more but this is so new and shiny i'm having a hard time placing it but i i still think maybe force awakens works for me a little bit better okay andrew uh, certainly, absolutely recommend it to, to people. I think it's a fantastic movie. But I agree with Nathan that I don't think it's a rare antiquity. I don't think it's something that is going to, I'm not saying, necessarily saying it's going to hold the test of time, but it's not one of those that I, I think is going to be that special. Like, it's a great movie. It's fun to watch. What I really appreciate about it, it gives, I think, a, a better appreciation for episode four, or you hope. It kind of strengthens the, the story. In terms of the ranking, I think this is better than Force Awakens just because it's something different. Force Awakens, while it was fun, it was enjoyable, it was still too much of a rehashing, it didn't rock the boat, which is, I think, a smart move from Disney's part. Uh, but what I liked about this is that it was stylistically different uh, and showed a different side to Star Wars that you've seen a little bit of in Rebels and Clone Wars and just enhances the universe. So I put it behind the new hope, and I think I had Force Awakens a lot higher than I uh, have now. I think Force Awakens, it's it's after um, the original trilogy, but I still put Rogue One above Force Awakens. So, Jeff, how about yourself? Yeah, well, I guess I'll re- – I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll recommend the movie, but I'll say straight up, I'm really disappointed, guys, with this film. I walked out of there not feeling happy with it. I'm just really disappointed in, in Rogue One. I think that has to do with, as we said, the, the characters being non-entities. And when you don't have good characters, then, like, I don't even, I don't know what I'm watching. I'm just watching, you know, a well-shot movie and it was that but this so this isn't going to be a rare antiquity i gotta see it again but man i'm i'm not i'm actually not pleased with the results here and then how about uh, the, how about the all. ranking yeah. there jeff just on your first yeah, well, my, here. the ranking for me i mean uh you know original trilogy is you know one two and three and and the orders kind of switches sometimes for those three force awakens after that uh, and then Rogue One after Force Awakens by a, a good distance, and then the prequels at at some point at the bottom of a smelly, musty old barrel. <laughs> okay, I agree with you guys. I give this kind of a middle of the road recommend. 
kind of like very similar to where Force Awakens was. I agree, it's not a rare antiquity. I think it tries to do something special, but if the characters were more fleshed out and if I cared about them a little bit more, I think the payoff in the third act would have been, would have just saved this, would have made this movie something very, very special. But because it just ends up being a generic action movie with Star Wars polish, and it's beautiful to look at, but the characters needed to be a bit stronger. And I think just to do that, you needed to cut off some of those B characters there and just really focus on Jin and Cassian, in my opinion. I think they, they could have had the, I think they had a bit of chemistry between them, but because there was so little time and so little detail fleshed out that that was the film's biggest problem. Even though I like Jin and Cassian a lot, but I like tonally where this movie went and it's a bit of a shame. I think they, they almost had it here and. For some reason, they just said, let's do a Dirty Dozen movie. And, you know, I don't think the Dirty Dozen is kind of viewed that favorably. It's kind of a fun movie to watch, but you don't really give a fuck about everybody. So because there's too many characters. So I'm surprised they'd want to replicate that formula here. It is not a rare antiquity. As I mentioned, my ranking would be definitely the original trilogy, followed by Phantom Menace, as I mentioned, Force Awakens, and then Rogue One, then Episodes 3 and 2. So that's where I, I leave it off. So so gentlemen, that does it for today, today's episode. Maybe one final comment. Let's just have it here very, very quickly. The path forward, moving forward with anthology films. We know that the Han Solo film is the only one that's been announced. It's going to be starting to film in the new year very shortly here. What are your thoughts now after seeing Rogue One about having anthology films outside of the saga storylines? Are we in trouble? Are you confident where they're going and can they pull it off? And is this something you want to see continue? Uh, Jeff, how about you start us off first here? A lot of this experiment was quite successful. They weren't far off. I mean, Harry, you said it. If they had been able to make these characters work, like if they'd cut out maybe half of them and then really did some good development, like that's something that's doable. If they had done that, this would have been a really special film. So it's possible for this idea to work. The star, there's, It's such a rich universe and you could tell so many different types of stories and I'm glad they they did take some chances here. So their willingness to do so is encouraging. And I mean, it's you know, it's it's blown up the box office. I'm surprised at how well reviewed it is, uh, to be honest, just because of how I feel about it. But because of those things, I mean, all the all the feed, all the you know, all the inputs are positive for Disney to to be able to take some chances as they go forward. I think the Han Solo idea is dumb. The Han Solo movie sucks. That's just one. You know, the next one can still be awesome after that. So I'm optimistic. If the anthologies end up being a flop, well, we still got the main thread, uh, which is which is the meat and potatoes anyway. So that's kind of how I feel. Andrew, I like the experiment. I like what they've done, but I think they also have to be very selective in the direction that they take these one-off movies. As Jeff mentioned, the, the Han Solo origin, I think it's dumb as well. Uh, I think my expectations for that movie are going to be fairly low just because I, with the iconic character of Han Solo, they're going to have to put together, the, the actor has got such huge shoes to fill, but also the tone of that movie, I don't know which direction it's going to go. So I'm in a way looking forward to it, but I think it was a, a risky decision to make. I liked Rogue One, I think that was an easy one to do, but moving forward, I think they have to be selective so we don't have this oversaturation of Star Wars. I, I just, I'm nervous about the direction that it is going. I think Disney has done such a tremendous job with, with Marvel, and I don't think that they're going to take it down a path that they can back on we're going to regret. It's just, it's cautious optimism, and that's where I think after I watch episode 8, I think that'll give me a good indication of whether or not they're 
going to rock the boat in a good direction, if that makes any sense. But I'm not looking forward to the next one. I'm looking forward to the one after that. So this is how Nathan. Um, well, I think I think they're at least off to a good start and they know that these anthologies can work. Yeah, I don't know if I care for the idea of a, a Han Solo because I, it's just I don't feel like that's compelling at all. But I mean, we'll wait. I'll have to wait and see, you know, see a trailer. Don't know too much about the movie yet at this point. I think we will get a uh, an Obi-Wan standalone movie. I don't know if I like that idea necessarily although i think bringing Ewan mcgregor back would be a, a solid move you know i heard like they were going to announce a boba fett standalone but that fell through with that director uh trank you know and the whole fall, uh, fantastic four fallout i would love them to like see anthology movies go back to the old republic you know around that there's a lot to mine just from that and and still be very separate from the the regular anthology movies so I'm I'm optimistic for the future, but you know I felt pretty optimistic after Phantom Menace. Like, oh, he'll fix all the problems, you know, and and it'll it'll be great. It'll be great. Don't like where they're going with Han Solo. I think that's a garbage shit idea. That's bottom of the barrel direction. That just reeks of desperation to me. It's like I can't think of anything else. But the fans like Han Solo, and this is where, Jeff, I mentioned before, fandom, for some reason, has this obsession with that character, and I just don't see it. I agree with you guys. It's not a compelling move. I don't really see how you can do a character arc with that character as it is anyways, because he's pretty one note, and you can't really take him anywhere because he has to be at a certain point when we see him in A New Hope. So I think that's a massive mistake. I agree, Nathan. They should go in the Old Republic. They need to They need to now separate themselves. They did an experiment. They should separate themselves from any pre-existing storyline or characters and just do something new. Whether it's Old Republic or you're going in the future. Or hell, just fucking do, you know, Jar Jar's cousin. You know, the adventure of Jub Jub. Jam Jam Binks. He's alphabets with extra J's. You know, it's like, it's okay. Something new and refreshing uh, instead of just tying in. I have a funny little prediction here, guys. I think that the way they're going, even with the Saga storyline, they're going to be tying into Obi-Wan. I think they are retconning George Lucas's and removing George Lucas's DNA from the entire saga because I still have that feeling that Obi-Wan Kenobi is the key even to episode 8 and 9. No spoilers, no nothing. That's just a prediction. Funny feeling I have and there'll probably be an Obi-Wan movie and Obi-Wan Kenobi and that it'll be the the royal bloodline will no longer be the Skywalkers after this trilogy is done. It's going to be the Kenobi bloodline. I agree with you, Harry. In fact, I yeah, no no spoilers, but you know you can kind of guess that you know they they'll probably wait to announce an Obi Wan movie after episode after eight. episode eight for reasons we won't talk about here, but you can figure it out. Yeah, I got that funny feeling too, and and if they're going in that direction, I'm just shaking my head because I don't know. Anyways, I think uh, really that saga should be done after this trilogy and then just move on to something new, but that's just me. But that that's it for today's show, gentlemen. Thank you very much for attending. We managed to get this done in three hours, so congratulations to everybody. Jeff, I think you have some tenderloin waiting for you. Your girlfriend Correct. was pretty adamant that you're not allowed to go past three hours, so I did my best. I hope you enjoy your fancy feast. And uh, <laughs> so, Andrew, Nathan, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks thank for having me. Thanks again. And Jeff, I will just announce what we're doing next time on the show. I believe it's my pick here, so... Let's hear the bomb, baby. We haven't delved into this genre too much, except for hitting mainstream movies where it's applicable. But I thought we'd go back to the glory days of the 80s, action films of that time. 
Nothing has been replicated since, and I thought we'd analyze literally. It is literally the last action movie of the 1980s, as we are going to discuss and analyze Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell in Tango and Cash. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the last movie made in the 80s, the last action movie from the 80s? December 1989. It was released. Oh, wow. Damn. Okay. So that's going to be a fun one. I, I, I have my reasons for picking that one, and that's one of the reasons, but I think that's a fun one. I know you've seen it, and I think you sort of like that one, so I think that's going to be a fun one to pick apart. Yeah, that'll be a blast. All right. So, gentlemen, thank you all for attending today and uh, discussing it. See you next time. Careful not to choke on your aspirations.